Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with Real Deal Talk. I don't even think you guys are ready for this one. I, I really, really don't. I don't even know if I'm ready. Actually, I've been ready for this one for a long time. Ladies and gentlemen, this man today in the studio is probably the biggest reason that this podcast even exists. All right. You want to talk about a leader of leaders, a man with courage, a guy that walks the walk and doesn't just talk the talk. Um, I can't say enough, and I'm, I'm going to go on and on and on about this throughout this interview, but I just want to kind of give the impact here. This man right here, this, this is, I'm going to declare right now that this will be the, this interview will have the biggest impact of any interview that I've done to date. Wow. And this is number 53 or 54. Ladies and gentlemen, in the studio today, the man, the master blaster pastor, the OG, the originator, the founder of Awakened Church, all the way in from the Gold Coast of Australia, Pastor Jürgen Matesius, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. The fact that you even got my name right is Come on. incredible. Right? And I actually was going over it last night because- <laughs> Oh my- because I don't, I don't pronounce your last name a lot. So I was like, I want, hopefully I'm getting this right. I was going to ask you beforehand, but I didn't because I was very confident. So oh, that's good. We're off to a good start here. Jurgen, ladies, guys, and listen, you, you know how many people are waiting for this interview? No. People are on the edge of their seats right now waiting for this interview to go live. Come on. All right. We're going to get down today. Okay. I'm going to make sure that the thousands of actually countless people that love and respect you are going to love and respect you even more because Thank they're going to hear your story wow. as to where you came from. Because I got to tell you, in my lifetime, Jurgen, I have never met a more courageous, more uh, better leader of leaders that I have had the honor of wanting to follow through the battle that we call life, right? Yeah. Than you, hundred percent. Wow. And it was the only reason I actually, I, I came out of the retirement of church. I hadn't been in a church in 40 years, right? Because all I saw were hypocrites along the way. Yeah. Talk, 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 but not walking the walk, right? Yeah. I didn't want any part of that. Then all of a sudden, Awakened Church comes around through Dr. Matt. We were doing a business collaboration. Then I saw you. And guys, during COVID, not only did they continue to worship because Jurgen said, not on my watch, worship is essential. I'll never forget it. Yeah. Okay. And Jurgen said, no, no, no. Not only are we going to keep worshiping, but we're going to actually do a grand opening of another location. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> San Marcos. Yeah. Right? That was it for me. I was like, yeah. Rachel, my wife, yeah. let's try this church because yeah. that's cojones right there. Yeah. This is a man. These are people that I want to follow. Wow. And the rest is now two and a half years in wow. podcast because yeah. of the Pathfinder program through Awaken. The wow. list goes on and on. Mm. All right. So you're in. Come on now. Um, let, let you ready to dig in here. I uh, am. Let's go back. Let's go back to little little Yergs back in the day. Yeah. Where, where did this? How did this happen right here? I'm sure you had a very smooth, perfect childhood. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I was born in southern Germany. My uh, my dad was actually from the east. He was from East Germany. So after World War Two, um, the the basically the the NATO the. United Nations uh, uh, agreement was that in the defeating of Hitler, they would split Germany in half and half would belong to the West under um, capitalism and the other half in the East 
would become part of the USSR, the mm. United Socialist Soviet Republic. So, in other words, half of Germany was prosperous and the other half lived in a dictatorship of poverty and control. So, unfortunately, my dad, <coughs> excuse me, he grew up on the East. He grew up in poverty. Yeah. He grew up in the, the communist. And so uh, his mother died when he was five of tuberculosis. Mm. And then uh, his father basically just became an alcoholic. You know, one of the things that socialism does is because it starves people of opportunity because everything's about conformity, it also starves people of hope mm. because you your, your hand becomes powerless the right. state is all powerful and you are powerless and so my father's father became a raging alcoholic remarried a woman who had a couple of kids had also lost her husband in the war and uh and so together they you know it was just dysfunction and so my father being the oldest every time uh his step siblings would spill milk or break a window or do something she would protect her kids from my father's father's wrath and uh, tell him it was my father that had broken whatever and so he would get a beating and so he ended up running away from home at 14 and then uh, back then at 18 it was you had to go into the military you had to do service and active duty and so he did a year of training and then they put him as a soldier on the wall and uh, one night a guy was escaping and um, my father refused to shoot the guy. And so they pulled him in saying, are you, a, you, know, are you somebody who's uh, compassionate towards the capitalistic cause? Are you somebody who uh, doesn't believe in Stalin and doesn't believe in Marxism, doesn't believe in communism? And so they interrogated him and... And then, you know, he had to lie. And then they, they uh, then one of his best friends, he said to him, listen, I'm going to escape. I'm, I'm, I'm done with the East. I'm going to go to the West. And his best friend went and dobbed him in for, you know, the equivalent of 30 pieces of silver. And uh, so my father went to a concentration camp for 22 months. The night he came out of the concentration camp, instead of going home, he was so broken. And he was only, only 22. He was so broken that he knew that... Um, the East had nothing for him and he was going to get out one way or the other so he, he waited till 3am and he ran across the minefield and so he was either going to step on a mine and get out of East Germany but fortunately he didn't he made it to the wall got over the wall and then from if you, you look where I was born you, you could not get further away from Berlin further away from there and, and remain in Germany. I'm, I'm, uh, I was born probably 30 minutes out of Zurich, Switzerland, and probably 30 minutes from Strasbourg, France. It's um, right down in that bottom corner in the Black Forest. So that's where I was born. And then there was a, uh, there was a really terrible recession um, when I was about two, and uh, they had a severe winter in Germany, and my mum was pregnant with my little brother, and so... Uh, my dad is what they call a Fliesenleger, which is a, a tiler. He does, you know, you know those beautiful bathroom tiles yeah. and kitchen flies and, uh, tiles and, you know, flooring. That's what he does. And because of the severe winter, he, had, he was starved of work. And so he, somebody said to him, you should, you should migrate to Australia. The weather, there's sunny all year. They have no snow. And, uh, and you can work all year if you like. And so he applied, and within a week they got he got a visa. Australia was crying out for tradespeople at that time. So the next minute I know we're on a on a plane and we we fly to Australia. And so the adventure begins. We get to Australia, and 
And how old were you when you when you went to three? Three, just, yeah, just before I was three. So go back real quick. The minefield. Give yeah. me that again. So he ran across a minefield. Yeah, to get ran, out of there. He ran across a minefield. So I, I you know, it's really interesting that you say because I, I had so much animosity towards my father because you know, he was he was a broken man and he was broken because he never he never um, repaired the brokenness between him and his father. Yeah. And, uh, and so what happens though, when you live with bitterness and hatred, it, it actually blinds you. So it was at the end of 2020, 2021, maybe it was, where I felt God say, your father ran across a minefield. You have had all this angst and anger and animosity towards your dad, but you know the kind of cojones it takes to run across a minefield. Literally. And God said to me, the courage that's in you was the courage that was in him. The wow. courage to run across a minefield because you so hate that cause and so believe in this cause. Because he believed in freedom. I remember we, we, we watched the Olympic Games because the wall didn't came, come down until 91. So I was born in 67, 1970, we moved to Australia. And um, I remember we would watch the Olympics and... All I knew was I was born in Germany, but I was growing up in Australia. And so we would watch the Olympics and there was two Germanys that were competing. I didn't realize there was East Germany, the FDR, uh, the Federal Democratic Republic of Germany or Germany. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I would just see on the dais, you know, and Germany wins gold. And I'm like, Dad, Germany won gold. And my dad would like sit there and cuss. Yeah, like he dropped the f bomb, and I could see him muttering under his lips like this, this intense hatred. And so he told me, "Don't you dare cheer for for that side. Like that's the that's the they cheat. They're the communist side. We don't cheer for them." And so I, I began to realize it was two different uh. two different Germanys. And so, <laughs> yeah. So he 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 hated the 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 control and sadly you know that's what's happening right now in america and right now around the world there's there's that same spirit and 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 there's a really good book called the fourth turning and it says that what we're experiencing right now happens about every 80 to 90 years and uh, 80 to 90 years every basically a lifetime so and, and the reason it comes around in in one long human lifetime is because the lesson we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. Mm. So every generation sadly has to repeat the, the mistakes. If you go back to the 1860s right now, uh, you'll see that there was there was um, incredible upheaval, incredible spirit of control, and there was warfare, the Civil War. Then fast forward 90 years or 80, 90 years, and now you're in the 1930s, 1940s, yeah, right. yeah, there you go. and it's World War Two. Now fast forward again, you're in the 2020s, and we're seeing that same spirit rise up in this hour. So basically, it needs people to love freedom, but you need to understand, like, you know, and you say it all the time, freedom isn't free. Right. If we have freedom, it's because somebody fought for us. And that's the story of the Bible. Like the introduction of the Bible is a guy called Moses. And there's a Pharaoh who has God's people in bondage and slavery and captivity. Slavery is basically where you're working and have nothing to show for it. Mm. You're working, you know, 40 hours, 60 hour weeks, and there's nothing to show. You're a slave. You're a slave to the grind, a slave to the will, yep. a slave to the man. And so Moses comes and he delivers them delivers them from bondage into freedom god the bible says the reason that jesus died was so that we would have freedom and when you don't have freedom you don't have anything if you don't have freedom of thought if you don't have freedom of speech 
if you don't have freedom of, of worship, you have no freedoms. They're the three essentials, mm. the freedom to think how I want to think. So right now in China, they have the social credit score system and you're told what to think. In fact, <coughs> excuse me, yesterday I saw a report on Kim Jong-il in North Korea because of the, the uh, oppressive control. People are suiciding like nothing else. Right. And so his answer was um, he's now made it illegal to commit suicide. <laughs> Yeah, like that's going to stop it. But basically, he will punish the family members of any family who loses somebody to suicide. So it's almost like this, you know, he's trying to invade the family to control. You know, if people are dying, you may want to take a look at you. It's not making it right. illegal to commit suicide. But but that's the world that we live in. It's it's where, where, where freedom is, people flourish. Mm. People never do well in captivity. In fact, there's a reason that we take criminals and we put them in captivity. We, we, we put them there because it's a punishment. It's never a reward. Right. Well, you've got these nations now, and that's what we saw in 2020 with the lockdowns, and I just couldn't handle it because I saw it was an invasion of freedom. And I knew that there was a deeper agenda. It was BS. They were never about trying to keep us safe from COVID. I, I got COVID straight away. Yeah. I had my tonsils Me taken too. out when I was eight. So I got no filter in here. You know, the tonsils are a yep. filter. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I got hit in October, late October, with this virus. And I'm like, I'm like, man, like the, the flu gets upgraded every year. I don't know what is going on. I've never been hit like this. But, you know, I, I'm kind of like, I, I don't like to take drugs or antibiotics yeah. unless I have to. So Dr. Matt, who we both know and love, said, oh, dude, you know what you need to do? You need to take some oregano oil. So, uh, you know, and he told my wife that I needed, I think it was like three or four drops. Yeah. She thought three or four vials. Oh, oh, dear God. I, look, I got within three days, I, I kicked this virus out of my system, but I stunk like a pizza. I smelled like a pizza. <laughs> How did it taste? It was brutal. Oh, it's brutal. And so, yeah, man, I'll tell you what. It's unbelievable. Like, the more I think about it, the way that, uh, the way that what my wife and I, our life, because we, we, my wife and I, 22 years, 22 years later, we didn't think our life could get better, wow. more fun, more yeah. fulfilling, because mm. we've been on all cylinders until yeah. Awaken and God and Jesus came into our life. Wow. How we, we, had, we didn't think it was possible. Yeah. And I just, so anyway, it's like for you to look at the parallel going back, right? Because mm. we're about the 90 year mark. Yeah, that's right. All right, so go back to now. All right, so you get to Australia. Yeah. Okay, three years old, four years old. Give yeah. you the, go from there. Okay, so we get to Australia and it's really. Wait, hold on, hold on. Hey, hey, Spencer. Okay. I, heard, I can hear the radio. You can't get over there, huh? All right, okay. When he comes back, I'll tell him. Okay, sorry. I can hear the radio. You can hear the radio? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow, okay. Yeah, I get little, I can hear little things. You're, you're, he's amazing. Okay. He's amazing. Yeah, so. yeah, so, okay, so we moved to Australia. What was really funny is, you know, we, we um, my dad didn't have any other plan other than get to Australia. Right. And so we literally, I was telling my, my Leanne the other day, you know, we're, we're 31 years married this August. Wow. And uh, when we got out of the airport, there were two, two coach lines, two buses. One was heading north and the other one was heading south. We actually lined up in the north one but because the line was so long dad moved us into the south one and so we went south so both of them were taking these new newly arrived newly processed uh, immigration visa people uh immigrants excuse me one was north yeah. and one was south and my dad was trying to get north because he heard the weather was even warmer the more north you go but we ended up 
just out of convenience getting on the south bus and so we ended up in in Wollongong where I grew up in a place called Fairy Meadow where there was um, a hostel so we spent I spent the first 18 months in in a, in a hostel in a hostel, in a hostel there on. and they used to be the old army barracks so I'm, I'm not sure if you ever watched um, uh, gosh um uh, now I forgot the name now. Gomer Pyle. Oh well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, 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 and, yeah. And they had the uh, the tin. It was yeah. like this se- semicircle, yeah. you know, tin tin structures. And so they had one of those divided into two or three, and then families lived in each one. And so that's that's that what was it was. It was the army army barracks. Yeah, we lived in there like it was little, you know, one bedroom open kind of that that was where we live so you go south right yeah do you ever think about like what if you'd gone north you i know think about that? i know it it, it it actually it scares me because i might not i might i probably wouldn't have met my liani that's what i'm saying yeah i know it's just it'd be a whole different world like just because the the, the line was shorter the yeah the line was shorter so we end up there and thank yeah it was it like it was you know god's hand and i'll tell you another really crazy story that um so uh, you know, my dad was an atheist. My mum, mm. my mum didn't even have any church that. growing. There was no church growing because he was brought up, you know, in communism. And atheism is essential to communism. They can't mm. be anything higher than the state. They can't be anything higher than man. So therefore, they 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 intentionally rage against God. There can be no God. Atheism has to be the way. So he was brought up with that. Even though he hated communism, he. You know, believed every believed every, what what they taught him in school. There is no God. You know, evolution. All that and they, kind they, of so stuff. in the schools, they're actually teaching that. Yeah, they indoctrinate the kids like they're trying to do now. They're right. trying to indoctrinate the kids. Yep. It's always about the children. Always. Always. Um, uh, it was Ar- uh, Aristotle said that the two most important questions for any nation is number one, uh, who's teaching the children, mm. and number two, what are they being taught. The two most essential questions for a nation. Actually, excuse me, it wasn't Aristotle, it was Plato. Plato said the two most important questions every, any civilization must ask itself. One is who's teaching the children and two, what are they being taught? So my dad was taught this. And so, you know, I didn't have any, I didn't, you know, grow up believing in God because it wasn't there. And your mom, mom same thing? But my mom, when, when I was, when, when I was three, remember we, we move out. So... Uh, within a couple of months, my, my mum was about uh, s- almost seven months pregnant when they moved to Australia. And, uh, and so obviously nine months, a couple of months later, she goes into labor. We're living in the hostel and my dad um, is working. You know, my mum cannot speak English. My father speaks very, very little broken English, but he's a hard worker. And he's got a wife you know, who's about to give birth to my little brother and me to look after. So he was giving money to a particular um, uh, English woman in the hostel to look after me with her kids. But she, you know, she was taking the money, but she wasn't. And so I decided I'm, I'm you know, three and I miss my mum. And all I know is they told me my mum's in the Krankenhaus, which is the German word for hospital. So I decide I'm going to walk to the hospital. The problem is there's a three-lane highway uh, right outside the the um, the hostel. Now you got to remember I'm I'm three. I my vocabulary is, is that of a three-year-old, but it's it's German. My mum doesn't speak English. My father doesn't. He only speaks very very broken English. They only speak German. I don't know who I am or where I am. All I know is I miss my mama and I want to go and see my mama. So this woman who's meant to 
be, you know, taking yeah. care yeah. of us is, you know, she's gone AWOL. So I decide I'm going to walk to the hospital. I have no idea where the hospital is. I'm just three. I'm just going to walk. And so I walk onto a three lane, three lanes each way, highway, cars going. And I walk into the traffic and these cars are coming at high speed. And because I'm just, I miss my mama. I'm crying. I want my mama. I want my mama. And a, a family sees a little three-year-old stepping into the traffic and they come flying up, screech, stop their car, get out of all the people. Come on. Of all the people. It's a family that migrated three years earlier from Germany. Stop it. You know, I mean, then we had like Italians, we had Portuguese, we had people from Greece, we had people, you know, from Spain, we had people from all over the world migrating to, to Australia. But of all the people... It's a German family, and they, they get out, and they're, they're trying to speak in English, and I'm looking up, saying in German, I want to go see my mama. My mama's in the hospital. I want to go see my mama. My mama's in the hospital. And so they put me in their car. They understood that. Yeah, because uh, yes. I was speaking in German. And so they understood German. They're like, this is crazy. Here's this little German boy. So they put this little German boy in the car. I mean, I could have been abducted. I could have been right. abducted, murdered, you know, by Ran anybody. Over. Ran over, died. I'm three. Of all the people to stop, like this is God, this is oh. angels, have directed just at that right particular time. So they take me to the hospital. My dad's out working trying to, you know, trying to make money so that we could yeah. live. And so we get to the hospital and, uh, and the lady at the administration of the hospital is, you know, saying, listen, right now we've got, you know, about 40 women who are, you know, yeah. this three-year-old, he doesn't even know his mother's name. You know, what's your mother's name? And then then they just said, listen, is there a woman here who can't speak any English? Because he can't speak English, he can only speak German. Yeah. They're like, well, actually, there is a woman in the maternity ward and I think she's just gone into labor. So my mother just gave birth to my little brother. They put her back in, she's nursing, and then they walk in with me, and here's this couple saying, hey, we've never met you, but we're German as well, and this is what happened. So, you know, my mum knew then that God's hand, I mean, she killed my dad, but she knew God's hand was over my life, even though she didn't she didn't believe in God. So there was just these wow. little moments when I look back. Oh, my like God. Like, it was just, it was supernatural. There's no way that, you know. So what happened with the family that... that, that, that they became, became really good friends. They became really, really good friends of of my mum and dad, you know, for years. It was like, and that my mum and dad didn't know anybody. Now, all of a sudden, they, they know this family, and this family saved me. And it was just a really well, beautiful was story. He, was he upset that you took off? A little, in a way, at first, you know what? He was really mad with the woman because he gave this right. woman oh, money yeah, to yeah, take yeah. care to take care of his son, and the woman wasn't doing it. You know, and she was, um, yeah, she dropped the ball. Well, she was spending the money on alcohol and cigarettes, uh, and so um, I think my mother said that she was probably drunk more days mm. than she was sober. So I think she was just getting hammered. And and again, there's no judgment because you know, right. pe pe People don't get hammered because they're bad people. Right. They get hammered because they're hurting. Mm, that's right. You know, it's, yeah. and they're trying to numb the pain. They're sick. Yeah. Yep. No doubt about it. Mm. All right. So hostile. What got you out of the hostel? So uh, my dad. What was dad doing, by the way? What was he working? What was he doing? Yeah. So he was tiling. So he oh, tiling. He, he met these Italian people yeah. who, and they gave him they gave him a um, uh, a trial. 
they gave him a trial. To, so there was a, a, a floor in uh, a showroom. It was like a showroom floor. And they, they basically said to him, listen, we're going to give you this and we're going to come back tomorrow and uh, see, how, see how, how you got on because it was a two-day job. And my dad, being very German, the Germans are precise and hardworking. It's, it's, it's a beautiful part of the German culture. And so um, the, guy, the guy sent his... Um, kind of like the 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 t- second in charge yeah. the vp to check on my dad four o'clock that afternoon see how he's getting on he should be about halfway go and check on him and when he got walked in at four my dad was just um with a mop finishing he'd finished not only the entire showroom but had grouted and now was just so once you put the grouting in you you know you then clean it up and the guy couldn't believe so they hired my dad on the spot and so he was, he was, you know, paying for the rent at the hospital and uh, hostel and food, and then at the same time putting money away to save. And so after about, I think it was close to eighteen months, he, he'd saved enough, and then there was um, like a house and land package that that came available, and so he he kind of bought that, and it was it was pretty steep. It was the the land was twelve hundred dollars. <laughs> And uh, the house and land was just shy of six thousand dollars, and he thought, "Man, how am I ever going to pay off six thousand dollars?" That was nineteen nineteen seventy one. And so, um, and so he was doing the tiling, yeah, for this company, yeah, right, yeah. How many days was he working? He, he was probably working five six days a week, yeah, yeah. And then the hostel, yeah. This is where you're you're sharing a bathroom with how many people? Oh my gosh, yeah, with there were hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of migrants, yeah. And what was really sad, there was a little girl who was my age, that her name was Claudia, and I would play with her every day, and she was from um, Austria, and uh, and then one day I went there, and there were police, oh, at, no. at her, yeah, and th- there'd been a pedophile in the area, and to this day she she's still missing. And um, there was a number of kids that had got, been abducted and taken away. And they never, they never found her. Never found her body again. It was really sad. This she she was one year older than me. She was four, and I was three. But we would play on the swings together and on the playground together. And this is yeah. at the hostel. At the hostel, yeah. Oof. Wow. When I, when I was in the military, I stayed in hostels all over the, oh, all wow. over the world. So wow. I so I understand how. But mine were much better than that. Yeah. Right. At least we had like an actual room. Yeah. And a bathroom. Yeah. Uh, anyway. All right. So, okay. So get when you, when you come out of the hostel, how was that? Do you, do you remember this? Yeah, I do. I remember, I remember we moved into, um, you know, we moved into a really poor, poor neighborhood because that was all we could afford, you know? And so anyone that says, you know, you know, again, obviously, you know, speaking as a pastor, so I, I didn't, I didn't grow up. I didn't even know what a pastor was. And sometimes you can introduce, oh, here's the pastor and people are immediately going to think, okay, he's going to talk religious stuff. Right. That's actually completely irrelevant to me having a life but but you need to understand like I grew up in atheism doing everything the world told me and it didn't it didn't bring any fulfillment but it wasn't it was when I met Jesus Christ that I found that that God actually he didn't write the Bible as a a list of you know do's and don'ts he actually wrote the Bible as principles Mm -hmm. that release his power and his life and to show you things that we call sin transgression that block his power, the block, his blessing, the block, his goodness from flowing into your life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus came that we 
could defeat death and have life. So if you look at the Bible through that lens, like when it says don't do something, it's because it's going to harm you in some way. Right. When the Bible says do do something, it's because it's going to bless you. So, so um, you know, we moved to this place called DAPTO. And uh, to this day, if you meet an Australian and you mention the word DAPTO, it's this it's a, it's a byword. We were famous for our dog track. Everyone knows the Dapto yeah. dogs. Um, it was it was ghetto. There was, oh, it was. It was um, there was lots of what they call commission houses, which was low income housing that the government sponsored. And uh, and so as soon as you take responsibility away from people, you you take authority and you strip them of any any level of. Uh, accountability yeah. or motivation or you know and so most and so we where we grew up it was it was poor you know fights gangs crime was was all normal and so um yeah i grew up in this this place called dapto but just the next town over was a place called albion park and albion park was known for its beautiful farms and you know it was just green and lush and beautiful and I'll show you a photo sometime that the it's it's surrounded by what they call the escarpment which is a beautiful stunning mountain yeah. range and it's got like um rainforest and rivers and everything that's where my Liani grew up mm. so it was literally like the next town over god was growing my 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 beautiful Come bride on. So yeah, so we would we would regularly go there and yeah, but but Dapto, and it was right there. It was, next it was right door. there, right there next door. Yeah, not not yeah. far. Yeah, in fact, it's so funny if I type in my street address and then I put Leanne's street address, it's exactly ten miles on the dot. Wow. Yeah, exactly ten ten point zero miles from my door to her door, where she grew up and where I grew up. It was hilarious. Like ten miles away, God was. Yeah, and I'm, I remember as a kid, just um, I remember in the third grade, my my this is going to sound funny because my name's Jurgen, but my teacher was called Mister Bergen, Mister Bergen, Colin Bergen, and he was he was he was just he was, if I look back, the greatest teacher uh-huh. was Colin Bergen, Mister Bergen. He was just incredible, and he really loved me. He was a, he was like just a really great, strong, but. You know, and he would play the piano accordion. Would you know? Would sing, and he teach, and he, you know, we'd learn. He was a really, really great. And I remember one day he forgot his lunch. I forgot his lunch, and so in comes this. I mean, the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. I mean, my God, you know, you're 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 in the third grade. So yeah, yeah. you know, what am I like eight? Right. In comes this this woman. She's got this kind of kind of blonde, light brown you know, kind of sandy beach colored blonde hair, just gorgeous eyes, gorgeous face, most beautiful thing ever seen. And she comes in, she puts his lunchbox on the desk and she leans in and she gives him a kiss. And so, you know, we're all little eight-year-olds, we're like, you know, going on like this. And, you know, and then he kind of blushed a little bit and said, oh, you know, that's, that's my wife. And I remember in my heart back then going, oh, man, like that's, that's the dream. One day I want to, have a wife that's you know that yeah. beautiful and it's really funny if i close my eyes and i think of what she looked like cuz my you know that was so long ago yeah um when i think of her i actually see my leanne cuz my leanne's got you know similar yeah, colors blonde. and similar features yeah so it's it's really funny i see my leanne and i and i didn't even realize then god you know cuz the bible says in psalm 37:4 if you delight yourself in the lord He'll give you the desires of your heart. Mm. And so, you know, it's amazing. Like that was one of the desires that was hidden in my heart as an eight-year-old. And God says, oh, see, hey, you had this as an eight-year-old. Have a look at the picture. Have, see, see this? 
I'm like, oh, God, you just blow me away. It's, it's amazing that you remember that moment. Yeah. Third grade. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, at that age, we remember a couple things here and there. Yeah. 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 All right, so keep going. Well, so, well anyway, but, well, it's because the only other woman that I knew that I loved was my mother. Your mom, yeah. You know, so there was, you know, cute girls in the, but, but you know, so your mum's your hero. But then when I saw this, I'm like, hang on, wow. Well, what's that? Okay, wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, keep yeah. going. Third grade. So, all right, grade. so, yeah, so then, um, <laughs> you know, again, growing up, you know, without God, I, um, we, we, I went to Dapto High School. And, and you said your mom. Yeah. She was in touch with God at this point or no? She was, she was superstitious and religious. She, yeah, she basically, whichever way the wind blows, you know, she, she believed that there was something out there, but you know, she didn't have a church upbringing or or background. So I, um, I go to, you know, high school in Dapto, Dapto high school. It was, it was a pretty rough high school. Um, there were always fights. I, you know, um, at, at about 13, I remember coming home one day and, um, and I'm looking for my mum, and I and I'd heard I'd heard in the middle of the night the night before, uh, like an altercation. But it was like mm. two a.m. Dad had come home drunk, which was normal. Yeah, you know. And I thought I'd heard an altercation, but you know, you're just so tired. And anyway, so I come home the next day, and Mum's car's in the the drive. But I'm walking through the house, yelling out, "Mum, where are you? Mum, Mum, where are you?" And and I could I could hear um, movement in the house, but whichever room I walked in, I'd hear a door and going into a different room. And yeah. so I'm trying to follow. And so finally, actually, I, I thought there's someone in the house. And I, th- I thought, how could it be, Mum? Why would she be hiding from from me? Mm-hmm. And so I I feigned that I was going to go to the left and went to the right, and then I caught my mum. And what? What had happened was her eye was swollen shut, her lip was all all broken, her nose was all twisted because my my father had had beaten her, and so my little brother then arrives just a few minutes later, and my mum's crying, and you know this this wasn't the first time, so yeah. we're like you know what you know we're leaving that blankety blank, we're leaving, we're leaving, we're leaving, and she was determined to leave. She went and got her suitcases and. You know, we helped pack, and we were, we were going to leave, but because and how old are you right here? I was thirteen. Thirteen, but because um, my father was the breadwinner back then, it was it was you know very traditional that my mum was a stay at home mum. She raised the kids, so she had no job, she had no workplace skills. So so her fear was if I leave him, how, how do we live? How how, right. how do I yeah. how do I provide? Where do we live? What, who's going to rent us a place on? And what do you do? Uh, nothing. Well, where's your income? I don't have any. Uh, but I'm going to try and get 50% from him, but it's got to go through divorce courts and divorce right. attorneys and lawyers, and they're going to take a, a chunk. So I remember just being frozen, thinking at 13, what could I earn? And my friend was doing the paper run. So I asked him what he made on the paper run. He says on a really good week, he, he can make about 20 to $22 a week. Wow, big time. Yeah, on the paper. So I'm like, oh, well, this, you know, so so I remember just feeling trapped. And then, you know, something similar happened again a few years later. My dad's, you know, apologized because mum did pack the bag and left it packed and told him she's leaving. She mm. doesn't know where we're going to go, but we're, we're leaving. And so he begged her to stay, begged her to change. But, you know, behavior modification is different to repentance. Yeah. And the difference, you know, um, behavior modification is, um, you know, uh, out of a fear of loss, 
I'm going to change right. out of a fear of loss, but it doesn't last. And so that's behavior modification. You know, re- repentance is, you know, I need to change because there's something broken in me that I need to come to God clean and say, God, will you help me? And then all of a sudden his power and his grace comes in and you change permanently. That's mm. that's the difference. So my dad never got to that point. So when I was 15, he did the same thing again. And um, this time I was 15, I thought I'm going to protect mum. I'm a couple of years older. So I went to protect mum, but he was so, so intoxicated that he, you know, when he saw me, he, he took it like a like a threat that I was yeah. threatening the alpha. And, you know, he punched me in the face, knocked me to the ground. And it, it really devastated me. You know, it, you know, it, it wasn't just the, the physical, you know, I can't even remember. Is that the what, first time he actually struck you with a fist? Nah, no, no, nah, no, many times before that. But but this one was, was like he looked me in the eye yeah. with rage and, you know, like almost like this, this, it was demonic. It yeah. was demonized, you know, like this, don't you, don't you ever you know, challenge me. Don't you ever, like it was like this. Other times it was just in a rage. He would yeah. just swing and hit. This one was like, you know, like put me in my place. Yeah. And I, I, I remember just uh, something, something really broke on the inside mm. of me. Like what, because that's not how a father should behave towards right. a son, especially when a son's trying to protect the mother, you know, from, yeah. from a beating. And, um, you know, and I remember vowing then, and I think, I, you know, you've heard the story where for years I, I felt, because I made this vow that, you know, in my room that one day when I'm big enough, one day when I'm strong enough, because I knew I was too skinny, 15, you know, gone through puberty, had the, the, the shoot, shoot up in height, but hadn't filled out yeah. yet. So I didn't have a whole lot of muscle and, you know, and so I just, I just felt like, disqualified on strength, disqualified on, you know, ability, disqualified, like I failed my mum, failed as a man, failed to protect, failed to, you know, just, I just felt like a failure. And what I didn't realize was um, that time I started boxing and um, I, I boxed for, for about three, a little over three years till I was about 18 and a half. I had three, three amateur fights, one wow. or three. Wow. I love boxing. Boxing's yeah, incredible. It's like chess. Yeah, love And, it. Uh, you know, strategy and speed, power, strategy. It's, you know, it's, it's great. And it's then every guy, every guy that I fought, all, th- all, all three were really good friends even to this day. Because, you know, you get in, you want to knock each other's heads off. But then afterwards, you you have respect. Like, man, you got a really great left hook. Man, you know, you got a really great uppercut or a right cross. And so, you know, we have this respect to for years later wow. we're still friends because it was nothing personal but but I remember I remember even after being able to you know and I, I think you've heard the story when I'm 18 I'm like all right dad you just you you just try you just try and I'm waiting because I know I could take him I could I could probably take him with you know I could put my right hand behind my back and I could just take him now with my skill sets just with my left hand you know I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm that confident and so I go away to this Christian surface thing and get radically saved but my goal up until that time was as soon as you slip up, I'm going to beat the crap out of you, you know, to pay, pay you back. So when you were training <clears> for boxing, yeah. did, was he, did he say anything negative about that? No, no, he, he, he didn't care. He, he, was, he, was, he was like, I, I can't remember a weekend where he wasn't drunk. So, so he, basically, <clears throat> he, he just didn't care. He just didn't care. Didn't like care. my sporting games. I remember, I think you've heard the story. I remember when um, I was in the, I made the under 11 A team of soccer. Yeah. Up until that time, I was in the Bs. But in 11, we made the A team and we were playing Oak Flats. And Oak Flats was, had always beat us. We'd never beaten Oak Flats. 
Um, in, in fact, I remember, you know, regularly they would destroy us like 9-0, 10-0. Like they were just so good. And so now I made the A team <clears throat> and I'm the, I was on the right wing in the first half and we were, we were uh, 2-1 down at the end of the first half. And then they said, listen, we're going to put switch you from right wing to, to striker. So they pulled me into the striker. And they score straight away. So now it's 3-1. We're 3-1 down. It's, you know, five minutes into the second half. And just just by switching me from the wing into the, the thing, anyway, I end up scoring three goals and we win 4-3. It's the wow. first time we'd ever beaten Oak Flats. So the coach is jubilant. Everyone's cheering, all the all the parents, because, you know, we finally... It's like we took down Goliath. Yeah. And I remember at the end of the game, my dad's on the sideline. And, you know, coach has got me up on his shoulders and everyone's cheering. And, you know, we won 4-3 and I scored a hat trick. And so I remember, um, you know, they put us down. We're walking back to the car. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. You know, dad didn't say anything. He must, mm. be, must be saving it for when we get to the car. Because I'm thinking, you know, he, he watched the game. He was on the sideline. Surely now, surely now for the first time, I've got to hear my dad say that I'm not a failure. He would always, you know, call me useless and um, no good and an idiot and a moron. Like, that, they were the only words I'd, I'd ever hear. Mm. And so I get in the car and he just starts the car. And it's just quiet. We reverse out. And it's just quiet. We... It's a dirt road to get back onto the main road from the soccer grounds and it's quiet along the whole dirt road. We get onto the main road, we're driving and he's still quiet. I'm like, I said, oh, dad, dad, like, what did you think of the game? And as he's driving, he just looks over and he says, when you run, you look like an old woman. He said that? That's what he said. And it was like, it was honestly, it was like a, you know, I, I just thought, I don't know. I, I don't know if I got anything else in me that I could do. Like I felt like this was. We we, we took down Oak Flats that we'd never beaten. I've been playing soccer since I was in the under under sevens. Um, never beaten them. I scored the three goals, the hat trick. You know, people were cheering. The coach lifted me on the shoulders. Everyone was slapping me on the back. But my my dad, all he could say was that when I run, I look like an old woman. And so, yeah. What, so how that, did you respond to that? What did you say? I, I remember just I didn't want I didn't want to I didn't want I cried, but I didn't want him to see me cry. I didn't want to give him that that satisfaction. I just you know it was just so so that was the kind of the vacuum that I that I grew up in, and so um, so that's why I say you know like if if you would have said to me one day you're going to be a father and one day you're going to be a father to people who aren't your right. your sons you know in in a church setting, I would have said the one thing I've got no blueprint on how to do or how to be is a father. And the other one is how to, to be a man, you know, mm. like I've got, I, I'm so disqualified. Like I, I you know, I, I, I had, you know, how you, you, how do you know a line's crooked? Well, a straight line tells you this line is crooked. I had no straight line on what, what manhood looks like. Cause anything Nothing. that I thought was, you know, I was a failure, wasn't strong enough, wasn't, wasn't powerful enough, wasn't built enough, didn't, didn't have enough, couldn't protect, couldn't, you know, score three goals, we win the game, but even that's not good enough. So I just, I just had anything that I thought, oh, this, this might be it. No, I had to, oh, maybe this is it. Oh no, that's, you know, so I just had no, so then, you know, I started doing drugs and, you know, and then after that, uh, you know, I was a good looking kid. So then I this thought, oh, like well. The, so high school? About, about, <laughs> high school. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, drugs and, you know, using girls and, you know, just... And people told me, oh, man, you're a star and this is what's going to make you happy. Oh, man, this guy, you know, sex is, you know, and... and but I, I, you know, even though obviously sex is awesome, but I would feel so empty. I feel like, man, I lied to her. You know, I lied to get, and I'm like, man, if, if this is it, I, I, this is it. Like I'm doing drugs, I'm getting drunk, I'm spending, you know, any money that I've got on that. I'm using girls and everyone's saying, oh, you're, you're living life at its best. And I'm like... I, then why do I feel so empty inside? Why do mm. I feel like such a schmuck inside? I got to lie to get to you know to to get a girl to sleep with me, um, pretending that uh, you know I'm really into you when really I wasn't. And mm. it was, and so anyway, so I end up uh, thinking maybe maybe it's if I do really well in sport. And so I I um, had done well in BMX, had all these BMX trophies okay. and won all these titles, and then. Um, and then all my friends started surfing. It was like the cool thing was surfing. So I started surfing and surfing was, was exhilarating. It was, it was very therapeutic. You know, you're out there in nature. And, uh, and then from there, you know, there was uh, quite a bit of competition happening down under. And the Aussies used to compete really well. In fact, they still do. Yeah. You know, they've held a number of yeah. world titles. So um, some, you know, started competing and then started winning because I, I have to do everything well. And uh, so, so then I had a, a sponsor pick me up, and, uh, and they're like, "Hey, you know, if you can win or place, we'll put you, you know, on the Australian Amateur Tour, and we'll pay for your entry fee, and we'll upgrade your, you know, not just wetsuits, but wetsuits and clothing." And I'm like, "Flip, you know, it's just a win." Oh, so yeah. I end up going to this pro am called the Jesus Pro Am, and I thought, "Oh, this and this is, is high school. This is now I'm in high school." Okay, yeah. and this is this is what age? Uh, I was uh, just turned eighteen. Eighteen, okay. I go in this Jesus Pro-Am, all I want to be is a pro surfer. That's what I'm thinking. And uh, and I so thought- So it's a Jesus Pro-Am? That's what they called it. So I'm laughing my head off. And I'm thinking, you know, just the name- Did your dad know the name of this thing? No. Yeah, he did. Again, he was drunk. He, he wouldn't have known. He didn't know where I so was. So when you say he was drunk, was he like seven <clears throat> days a week just drunk? You know, I think he, he was the German pride, so he would work- you know, he would be fastidious about working, you know, yeah. all week. And, and I remember we, he would come home from work about maybe 4.30 in the afternoon but fall asleep on the sofa because, you know, he'd drinking, partying all weekend. Yeah. yeah. And then so – but Friday, Saturday, Sunday would be, you know, they'd just be drinking all day. Yeah. And okay. um, so uh, anyway, so I go in this Christian surface thing. There should have been no surf but there was this massive – just these massive waves that came from nowhere and all these Christians are jumping up and down saying we prayed for this and I'm like hang on I'm looking at the the weather map and there's just a big fat high pressure system high pressure systems produce good weather but no waves low pressure systems produce the swell and there's no low pressure system in sight and I'm looking and this is like double overhead waves and so then then this guy takes off and and uh, he he just shreds this wave on his back end and comes running up the beach. He's got like bleached white hair and you know real muscles. Brown comes running up and he gets the the microphone. He goes, "Hey guys, look, it's it's pretty heavy out there. Why don't we just get together on the beach and pray? We don't want to, you know, God sent us this swell, but we need to we need to pray that it settles down so none of our the grommets drown. Grommets are the the little guys, yeah, you know, the yeah. the under tens. Yeah. And uh, so I'm laughing, thinking he's joking. 
I'm, you know, I'm laughing because I have no no never bearings on Christianity or faith or that there's a God that answers prayer. And then I watch them all huddle around him and they all start praying. And I'm like, that guy can't be a – he's not a Christian. He doesn't look like a dork. That can't be – he looks cool. And he shreds on a surfboard. There's no way. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, these – you know, he's somehow he's got must have gotten brainwashed because you know he he actually believes this stuff. But I'm I'm looking out at the surf going, this is a groundswell. This has come from hundreds of miles out at sea because there's no there's no low pressure system in sight, and so this is a groundswell. It's not gonna it's not gonna settle down because you're speaking some words into the sky. Well, they finish praying, and then all of a sudden the wind that was boisterous on shore just stops. And then about 10 minutes of just this weird, it was like this awe, this eerie, weird, where there was no wind. All of a sudden the wind turns and starts blowing offshore. And then the whole surf cleans up and then it starts dropping. And it drops down to about four or five feet. And I'm like, ah, oh, okay, I know what's going on here. Coinc- it's a coincidence. Yeah. There's no way this is because they just prayed. This is a coincidence. And... That's what happens with ground swells. As soon as they come up, as quick as they come, is as quick as they leave. This is a long weekend. Sadly, it's now you know it's Saturday morning. The kickoff of the competition. Probably by you know one o'clock this afternoon, there'll be nothing left. It'll be dead flat like everywhere else. No, it stayed four or five feet for the entire weekend. It was the most perfect surf the entire weekend. So, um, so that was the weekend where I just. Everything that my brain said this will happen, God did the opposite. It was like God was showing yeah, off yeah. that He controls nature, that He can and He can direct the waves. I remember. At, at you, what point were you like, okay, wait a minute? Now it's been eight hours. Yeah, we like eight hours. Even the next morning, I remember Sunday morning waking up and they had this this you know worship vigil on the beach, which I was too cool. I yeah. didn't I didn't want them you know to, and so one of my friends had to come up and I said, hey, listen, um, I just need you to stop dropping the f bomb. Oh. And I'm like, oh, really? I didn't even realize I was dropping the F-bomb. He's like, This was a friend of yours? Yeah. He's like, every other word. You know, he was the guy that invited me to it. He's like, yeah. Every, and, I, and I didn't realize, you know. And that was, I think, that was what gave me an awareness. Anyway, so uh, this is one of Sunday morning, I'm, I'm looking out there and the waves are still perfect. I'm like, this is messing my head. And and uh, it was the, the fourth round uh, and I won my fourth round and then the next that afternoon, Sunday afternoon was the was um, the, the the quarterfinals and the semifinals, and then Monday morning was all the finals. And so um, I remember stretching for the quarterfinals. And what you what you're looking for back then, you had 20 minutes. You're allowed a maximum of 10 waves, and uh, the top three your top three scores post, and you know that's how they determine who wins the heat. There were six man heats, and so. You're looking for any advantage. So I would study. I had a I had a stopwatch that I would set on 20 minutes, and I knew that in the first five minutes I always had a strategy. In the first five minutes, I needed to get three. I just needed Solid to complete base. three rides. Just and so everyone would immediately paddle all the way out the back and wait for the big sets. But I had this strategy where I would go three quarters, and the ones that they go over, I would catch because no one's catching them, and I'd get. And you, you know, the maximum you're going to get is maybe a five or a six out of ten. But if you got three fives or three, you know, five point fives out of ten, and this guy's got one nine, and yeah. if the ocean goes flat, guess who wins? 
Yeah. His nine doesn't beat your, you know, sixteen point five. Right, right. So, you know, so that's so I had this strategy. So I'm looking, and I'm, I can see a rip over here. That's what I'm going to use to get out, breaking rights and lefts. The lefts look a little bit better. So I'm, you know, stre st stretching, and I've got my back then. It was a, a Sony cassette. Yeah. Walkman. The Walkman. The Walkman. Remember the Walkman? Oh I had ACDC back in black, you know, that because that was what I was into, you know, Akadaka, ACDC, and it's Hell's Bells, you know, is it is the song that I'm playing. Oh, yeah. And uh, anyway, there's a guy walking up the beach, and to this day, the Christian surfers still disown him. They say, we don't know who he is, he's a religious nut. But he had um, uh, a megaphone and a Bible. I mean, he had this, This it was the mother of all Bibles, biggest Bible I've ever seen. And he's walking up the beach and he's just yelling at people. He's got this megaphone, he's just yelling at people from the Bible. And I didn't realize, but he was like one of those, you know, you're going to burn in hell, boy, you know, kind of, you know, yeah. yelling stuff. So anyway, he comes right up to me and I'm, I'm, and he's standing in my way and I'm trying to get him to move so I could, you know, I'm, I'm studying the ocean, I'm studying, I'm timing how often the sets come in every two or three minutes, you know, f f I'm getting a strategy and he's yelling stuff from the Bible. So I get my Walkman and I just turn it up full ball so I can't hear a word. All I see is his lips moving, but I can't, but, you know, his face is all contorted. And then as I'm sitting there, all I can hear is, you know, hell's bells playing in the hell's background. Bells. And then this voice, I promise you this voice and it was like the voice was right behind me, <clears throat> said, Jürgen, what he is saying is truth. And it was like it was right here. And so I turn and there's no one there. And like the hair, you know, like goosebumps yeah. just, I'm like, what the just happened? And I see him holding the Bible. And then he realizes that I'm not listening. So he sees two people sitting over here. So he goes over to them. And I'm like, hang on. And I, and I look, and just as he's walking away, I just see the word holy Bible. You know, he walks away. And I thought, this voice said what he's saying is truth. So I win the quarterfinals. I, I make it into the semis. I win the semifinals. So I'm now slated for the finals on the Monday. And um, I get up in the morning, and everything everything had shifted. Everything was different. And I... I and I just, this thing, what he's saying is truth, what he's saying is truth. So then I started asking my friend questions about Christianity, about God and, and everything. And then the next morning, you the next there? morning. Yeah. yeah. And he, he'd made the, he'd made the, um, he was 28. He'd made the open final. I'd made the under 19 junior final. And, um, he, uh, he had this thing in his car that he, that he gave to me that he had laminated and it said, um, I asked of God, how much do you love me? And God responded by stretching out his arms and saying, this much, and then he died. And I remember just, just looking at it. It was like the, the thing that, that was starved in my life was that love. Mm. You know, my father could never say anything positive. The, the whole reason, the whole motivation for being at the the Christian surfaces, I felt like if I just could accomplish something, right. then then maybe my dad would love me, maybe. And so, uh, and then he just says, you know, I just feel God tell me that he wants me to give it to you. And so I so I put it up on my, my wall when I eventually got home. But I remember just sitting on the beach looking at it. I asked of God, how much do you love me? And he stretched out his arms and he said, I love you this much. And then he died. 
and I just saw the picture of Jesus on the cross. And it was like the gospel began to to kind of pierce and penetrate and make sense. And the next minute they're calling me, you know, for for the the final. I get in the I get in the final and I place fourth. And then they get the guy who came first to do a speech, mm. and he gets up and he talks about how he. Uh, had run away from God, you know, and he said, you know, if you're running away from God, whatever you do, he was a Baptist pastor's son and he, you know, didn't want anything to do with God. He was always getting called the God boy and the preacher kid and, you know, everything at school. So he ran away from God and he says, look, if you're trying to get away from God, whatever you do, don't be a carpenter. So I lean over to my friend, why not? He goes, Jesus was a carpenter. I'm like, really? He's like, F-bombs. I'm like, oh man, I'm so sorry. He goes, yeah, Jesus was a carpenter. I'm like, oh, you know, didn't make any sense. And so anyway, then he tells the story about how, um, you know, he'd been boozing and drinking and, you know, he said and he was doing things with his girlfriend that he knew he shouldn't be doing as, a, you know, he was raised better than that. And, but he was working uh, on, on the job sites and in the summer it gets really hot. So they'll start at six and they'll, they call it knock off, but they'll finish yeah. around noon. So, you know, before it gets too hot, you know, that, that 12 o'clock to 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, it's just too unbearable. Right. So they start early. So, you know, but it was an hour drive from where he lived. So he had to be up at 5. And so he's now said it's his third night in a row where he's leaving his girlfriend's place about one thirty-two in the morning. So he's been surviving on just a couple of hours sleep. And so he's driving home and he, and he began to fall asleep at the wheel. And because it was summer, because it was hot, he had no air conditioning in his car. It's all muggy. And the next minute there's a, a turn in the road and he's missed the turn and he's gone over the embankment and he's flying down the embankment. He's off the road now and there's a tree in front of him and he just knows, you know, in a split second he's going to die. And he said his hands came up in front of his face and out of his mouth came Jesus. And then instead of, instead of an impact, there's no impact. And when he takes his hands down and opens his eyes, the car is back up on the side of the road, driving along the road. And so he pulls the car over. Did, did he just dream that he went off the embankment or did he really go off the embankment? So he thought, I must have dreamed that I got off the embankment. But he got out of the car because he was shaking so much. He got out, and as he said, as he got out of the car, he fell out under the power of God and lay on the side of the road. He says, because of the presence of angels around the car. So he knew that he actually, he said, he believes he actually really yeah. did and angels picked his car up. And he said right there, he rededicated his life to God. And then he said, you know, and there are people here and you've tried drugs and using girls and booze and everything and you're empty on the inside. And then that voice said, Jürgen, he's talking about you. And I look behind me again, there's no one freaking behind me. I'm like, who is this? And I was just, you know, and so anyway, so... He says, you know, if that's you, you know, close your eyes, pray this prayer. So I remember just praying this prayer out loud, asking Christ to come into my heart, into my life. So you're like, I'm just going with this. I'm going with it because everything he was saying, like, was, so my, it was like the whole weekend. It was like a long weekend where my mind was continually blown. Every paradigm that I had, poof, 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 just broken. And then he shares this story, not of a, not of a religious God, not of a God that, hey, have you ever tried religion? Have you thought of religion? You know, it's 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 boring, and but you know, it's it's an option. That's 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 what I thought Christianity yes, was. Yeah, I thought yeah, it was yeah. just you know. I think everybody thinks that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, go. 
So he then, um, you know, so what, but what he, he was talking about a God that answers prayer, a God that has angels, a God that, you know, rescues you from death, a God that, you know, works in your life, a God that, you know, drugs and booze and alcohol are just counterfeits. They're just poor substitutes for this, this reality. So I prayed this prayer. And, uh, and, and all I can remember is, you know, Jesus come into my life. That's, that's all I remember. But, but JD, when I opened my eyes, it was the most freaky thing. Like, cause the, the prize giving was at, 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 um, gosh, what was the name of the beach now? Not Palm beach. It was uh, caves beach, caves beach in Vincentia. And, um, and we're, we're sitting outside and there was, you know, trees and grass and, you know, you know, prize giving and I look and I see all the trees and I see all the grass but I could hear the birds and I could hear singing it was like the only way I could describe it was like up till that time my life was a dream Mm. and I'd awoken from the dream hence the word awaken church it was like it's like I'd, I'd, I'd come alive and all my senses came alive and I realized there is a God and I'd never seen the grass so green, the sky so blue. I, it was the, and I knew I wasn't tripping. I hadn't taken anything for probably two or three days because I really wanted to do well in the competition. So I knew this had nothing to do with drugs. I knew there was no drugs in my system. But yet I had this most euphoric. And I remember we were driving home. <clears throat> it was a couple of hours to get back to my home. And I'm driving with my friend Jim, who was the one who gave me the, yeah. the little plaque. And the sun was setting. And I had this, I had for the first time in my life, I had this peace and this warmth like mm. I belonged. Like I knew, I knew that I was accepted, that I was loved, that, that uh, there was nothing uh, disqualifying me. Like I'd always felt like I w- wasn't good enough, wasn't, you know, but f- it was really weird to explain it. Like I, I was accepted, I was loved. Yeah. So... <sighs> Now, this is so profound, right? Because yeah. for people that are listening and watching, mm. and I can speak for this, mm. you're, I consider mm. you a father figure, even though we're a similar age. Yeah. I look at you as a father figure. You're much figure. younger. Right? Look at well, you. We're young both in pup. the 50s. So. There's no way. I want to I look as good as you. <laughs> right. Um, I appreciate that. But anyway. Um, and then, but like you said it to me, JD, you've got a heavenly father. Yeah. Talk about that. The mm. guy, the people that are mm. missing their father that- Yeah. Anybody can have a heavenly father. Yeah. Right? And, and, he, and he is a perfect father. And David said these words. So, so, so this is in the Psalms, King David. So David was the eighth son of a guy called Jesse. He had seven sons legitimately. And then David actually, if you, you, know, if you do a bit of a deep dive, you find that David is actually uh, the offspring of an affair. Mm. So, he was, so he was a little bit ashamed of David because every time he saw David, it reminded him of his indiscretion. Right. And the brothers didn't like David because David reminded them of their dad's unfaithfulness to their mama. So, but David wrote these words. He said, if my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. You know, it was David who said, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. You know, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I lack nothing. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runneth over. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So it was David that had this incredible, profound encounter with God and this revelation of the father heart, the, the shepherding, caring love of God. 
David was himself a shepherd and, and he loved the sheep and then he saw that's how God loves me and because David had a broken earthly father he saw this in a heavenly father and Jesus when the disciples said hey Lord teach us to pray you know in, in Islam you know they pray Allahu Akbar you know God is great he's the creator of the, the, the universe the cosmos and he's the magnificent you know beneficent he's the compassionate you know one he's this one and so it's all it's all these chants to this potentate and every religion's the same except christianity jesus said to the disciples when you pray say abba Mm. the first word he teaches them is you say daddy you say father our father but in hebrew it's abba father who art in heaven holy is your name Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the next verse is a verse that really shatters most people's perceptions of Christianity. The next two words is give us. Give us this day our daily bread. Which is, you know, even you might have heard, you know, Christians would pray, Lord, you know, we we just ask, Lord, that... Lord, we we just come before you, and we just we just asking the Lord that you would just we just ask that you know we just like like we're an imposition, yeah. And that that prayer it sounds sincere and it sounds religious, but it's complete it's completely the antithesis of what Jesus said. Jesus says you address God as your daddy, your father, and then you can say, "Give us, my children." You know, I have to remind them, please. Right. Thank you. Yeah. You know. There's no please or thank you. He's like, give us our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom, power and glory forever. Amen. And so it's interesting. Even Jesus there says, I want want to show you when you pray, you're praying to a father who is not just benevolent, but who is your Abba Father who loves you. And you can say, Daddy, give us our daily bread forgive us as we forgive you know it's a real powerful prayer so you know god god is a god is a wonderful father and what i found was every area that was broken he gave me a revelation in scripture of what a perfect father he is the most perfect father is is not a performance-based father right and that's all i knew i knew that i somehow i just felt like if i could just perform well enough obviously the hat trick you know, winning the soccer game, beating Albion, building Oak, beating Oak Flats. You know, maybe it was sporting success. Maybe it was physical strength. Maybe it was no matter what I did, I couldn't, I couldn't perform. And then when I came to God, God didn't love me based on my performance, which is what everybody told me. Right. Everyone told me that you know God is this, you know, capricious, killjoy in the sky, following people with a stick, listening. If you're having too much fun, he's going to come over there and you know throw a wet blanket over your party and, you know, pour a bucket over your head and, you know, then condemn you for you, you're having... That's what I thought. And instead I find this this God who loves me, not because I perform. I, I remember when I was first a Christian and the, the first time I sinned, you know, after I'd given my life to Christ, you know, I went out and got toasted with, with my friends a week after I gave my life to Christ. And I felt so, so guilty. And... um 
because I thought I, I thought I could stand up to the peer pressure and I realised, oh my gosh, like I can't be with these guys and because it started off, I'm just going to drink orange juice, then it was a beer, then it was a second beer, then a third and then they all start doing, um, you know, double dram Buey shots and <laughs> then it was like Jim Beam and Coke and oh, wow. before I know it, I've got no money left in my wallet and I'm just, you know, toasted. And so I remember waking up the next morning absolutely hungover, feeling so condemned, thinking, oh, I've let God down He's probably rejected me and discarded me. Instead, what I found was his love never left and his love was there. And it, it took probably the next year or two to process because I was so damaged that God doesn't love me when I'm good and he doesn't stop loving me when I'm bad. Whether I'm good, whether I'm bad or whether I'm downright rotten, doesn't affect God's love for me because God doesn't have love. God is love. Mm. And when I began to realize, so it doesn't matter on my performance, you love me. And God's like, yeah, that's right. So I'm like, well, hang on. That, that, that can't be right. So you're telling me that if I reach out and I do this sin that I know your Bible says I shouldn't do, you'll still love me. He's like, yeah. I'm like, hang on. No, 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 that's, no, 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 no. You, if I'm doing this and I know it, it hurts you, I know it's wrong, you told me not to do it, you're saying you still love me. He's like, yeah. And he's like, Jürgen, I don't punish you for your sins. I'm like, yes, you do. The Bible says, he says, no, no, no. I don't punish you for your sins. You punish you by your sins. Mm. He says, you think you can break my commandments? You can't break my commandments. All you do is you break yourself against my commandments. My commandments are that teach you how to have life. He says, you can knock yourself out. You can go and do all the sins you like. I won't stop loving you, but you're going to have to deal with the consequences. You know, you, 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 you go and do drugs, you'll become an addict and have to go to a recovery center. You go and you know, drink alcohol, you're not going to have any, any money and you know, become, a, become an alcoholic. You're going to have to go to a recovery center. Or worse, you may end up in prison, you may do a hit and run, you may get behind the wheel of a car. Yeah. Now you've got regrets, remorse. He says, I'll still love you, but I've got better for you. I don't punish you for your sins. You punish yourself by your sins. I was like this. My mind was just... And, you know, and then I remember, you know, I found this church called Wollongong Church of Christ. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is where it went from there. Oh, this, this is the best story. Have, have you got yes. a minute? Yes. So this is the have best got story. got a minute? Best story. So, yeah. so this radical encounter with God, my, my whole life changes because I didn't realize I'm born again. You know, I, I was sleeping with my girlfriend at that time. And I remember, um, you know, every time I would sleep with her, I was, you know, 18. She was 17 um, at that time. Her name was Debbie. I still pray for her. It breaks my heart. She was a sweetheart. But I, we'd have sex. I'd feel good. I'm like, oh, my gosh, does life get any better? Surf was pumping a day, and then I got to you know, have sex with beautiful Debbie, blonde hair, blue eyes. Now, now I'm a Christian, and I remember you know, a few days later, you know, we're together, just you know, hormones raging, and you know, we have sex, and I'm driving home thinking, what the heck is wrong with me? Why, why do I feel guilty? Why, why do I feel like I've stolen something? I had no idea. And then the next night I go to Bible study with the Christian surfers and they say, yeah, yeah you know, sex is for marriage. I'm like, you guys are just old prudes. And then they start showing me the Bible. I'm like, oh my God. And so after a few weeks, I realize I've, I can't be with Debbie and not 
because that line's yeah. already been crossed too many times. I already know what it's like on the on the other side. So I ended up having to, you know, break up with it because I couldn't control myself. But I but I didn't want to have that that wash of guilt. So I just make this vow. I said, okay, God, you know, I know I'm broken, you know, and I need to. I don't want a girlfriend till you give me the one that I'm going to marry. So and I'm thinking, you know, God, and I'm I'm you know I'm going to give you at least three months you know till you give me the yeah you know like i'm just a whole three months yeah a whole three months yeah and and 18 it was it'd be six years you know but i'm giving him three months so two fun two so true story so um i i leave school and i get a job um as um a fitter and turner which was kind of the entry level to becoming a mechanical engineer and so i meet two two buddies the jerry and dago and they love me because you know i was like the like a well-known surfer and so they they were young surfers and they wanted to be with me and then when they found that I, I was a christian they they started following me following me to church you know following me to all this all this kind of stuff and so i, I was just a raging idiot and so i said to them hey listen you know we're going to go to the movies so we go to the movies on the saturday night we get into the movie theater and back then they would have the main feature but before the main feature they always have like a uh, you know, like a little ten-minute cartoon yeah. or something. Then it was intermission. Everyone would head off to the tux, tux, tux shop and get, you know, popcorn and soda and you know, candy and whatever. And then you know, then you'd get back in and then the lights would go down. The main feature presentation would come on and be the movie. So we're all sitting. I can't even remember what the movie was, but all I remember is you know we're, we're in there for the the first little ten minute you know feature film that they just tack in there. Right. It's almost like a support band, you know, opening for yeah. the main event. And uh, but there were these three cute blondes in front of us, and there's three of us, and there's three of them. And I remember the one sitting right in front of me was was you know the cutest of of all three. So I'm thinking, God, wow, you move fast. I've only broken up with Debbie like a month ago, and already, God, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So anyway, um, at the intermission. Uh, Dago was Dago was I think like six foot four, six foot five, and, you know, and so I get to get up because these three girls go up to go out to the you know the store to get you know the candy yeah, and yeah. popcorn and everything. Dago because he was so much bigger than he puts his hand on my shoulder and pushes me down into my seat. He says oh, I'm going, I'm and so he, and I'm like Dago, you jerk, oh you monkey, and so he follows the girls out and I'm like oh man punk, and so anyway the the the. The three girls come back and they sit down in front and then I just look and I see Duggo behind them. And Duggo's like, his eyes, it's like he's just glazed over. It's like a deer in the headlights. And he's just, he's walking down our row and he's holding, you know, a big thing of soda in this hand and popcorn in this hand. And he's just, he's just walking and just, and then he, then he kind of gets to the seat and he sits down and he's still just staring straight ahead. And, the, you know, the girls are sitting there and he's, he's just like, and I'm like, Duggo. Duggo, dude, dude, what's going on? Duggo, you all right, bro? What's going on, Duggo? And he goes, you know, you know those three girls. I'm like, yeah. They're Christians. I'm like, whoa, they're Christian. So I tapped the cute one on the shoulder. No way. I said, excuse me. I said, are you a Christian? She goes, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, so am I. She goes, you're. I said, yeah. I had this encounter with God on a beach through Christian surfers. She goes, oh wow. She goes, what church do you go to? And then yet started going to church. I'm like, oh crap! Um, what church do you go to? She goes, I go to Wollongong Church of Christ. This is a Saturday night. I said, so do I. She goes, really? Since when? I said, since tomorrow. 
No and so the next day, so she said she'd meet me at Wollongong Church of Christ. I said, oh, I'll meet you there. And the service started at 10. So I said, I'll meet you there. She goes, meet me in the foyer at 10 to 10. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, the ho- I'm singing the whole way home. Duggo and Jerry are going, so, man. So Duggo was excited? That was a look of shock and excitement? Yeah, he just, well, he couldn't, couldn't believe, believe it. He couldn't believe it because I've been telling him how I broke up with Debbie yeah. and I don't want a girl till the, God gives me what I'm going to marry. And, and he, him and I both, he was a baby Christian. Yeah. So he's thinking, this is God, man. Jurg's, you know, gave up his girlfriend a month ago and man, God's honoring his sacrifice. So, and you know, he, his, look, this is going to sound really sad. I'm really sorry. But um, what's the lighting like in a cinema? Dark. <laughs> it's not great, is it? No. <laughs> so the whole way home, I'm like, oh my God, this is the girl. My God, she is drop dead gorgeous. She is. <laughs> and the next day, oh, no. the next day, I meet her in the foyer. I'm like, oh, oh dear. God. Oh, you were the. God. So anyway, but it was God. It was, it was, oh, it was God just kind of feeding me these breadcrumbs, you know. So I end up in Wollongong Church of Christ, and she was a sweetheart. You know, but she wasn't. She wasn't the one for me. You know, she looked very different when there was no lighting. Oh, and uh, but she was a lovely, beautiful. I'm thinking it's Leanne. No, no. But she could sing like an angel. This girl, my God, and was a sweetheart and was a great leader, great person. But that, that's when I got to this church, and so the church was filled, filled with um, like cool young people. And the the back then they didn't call him a pastor, or you know, in that denomination they called them the senior minister, mm. the senior minister. The senior minister, you know, he, he was he was so um, avant-garde. He was so he he completely threw the the uh, the playbook out the window. The way that he did church, every every service we would have items performed by the young people. Whether sometimes it'd be a comedy thing or a song or a, a drama or something, there was always and it was always excellent. And the worship was you could feel the worship and. People would, you know, there was the first time I remember lifting my hands and feeling God and feeling the presence of God. And his preaching was brilliant. He, everything was relatable. Everything was applicable to your life. And there was, it was full of young people. Well, because of, um, because of my, my surfing and my sponsorship, um, they, they got me to um, kind of wear some of the, the clothing and, you know, put it in some of the different, you know, magazines and, yeah. you know, ads and papers. And then... There was a, a modeling academy in in Wollongong, and so they 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 picked me up, and so I was part of this this. And so there was about thirty of us in this this academy. We do fashion parades everywhere, and uh, of that thirty, I think twenty two of that thirty models who were kind of like you know the best looking young people in our city all went to Wollongong Church of Christ. Oh, really? Uh, it was like it was it was and they had a nightclub on a saturday night called jonah's night spot it was like this alcohol free but they would get these christian bands in who were just the best christian bands and and you know would close down at one there was all these christian bikers who would come so you got these you know bikers who were former hell's angels and mongrel mob and now had converted and they were now you know riding they were they were um the god squad you know and they, they had you know leathers and tats and you know rough looking guys but they were christians and they'd share their stories and testimonies and there'd be food and fun and you know that that was where i first i first saw leanne that they they did a new year's eve thing and uh, leanne was leanne was with her friend who was was quite chubby and i i was you know very calculated and i knew that in australia they have a tradition at new year's everyone (laughs) everyone says happy new year and you, you 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 know you kiss 
you know, just a little yeah. kiss on the yeah. lips. And I knew I'm, I'm looking at Leanne going, I want to kiss Leanne, but I've got to kiss her fat friend. Oh, jeez. Is it worth? And I thought, you know what? I'd kiss her. <coughs> I'd, I'd kiss the back end of a hippo to kiss Leanne. So, so I, I thought I'll, I'll kiss her fat friend first, get her out of the way with. You know, and then I got to, so it was, yeah, it was. So you actually kissed her fat friend? I kissed her fat friend first. I thought, I could, you know, it's it's like uh, the way that I eat is. And this, know, was the, this was the ploy, this was the technique. This you, was the technique. I thought it's Jonah's nightclub, it's New Year's Eve. I like Leanne. I know rumor says that she likes me. She's kind of been around me. And that was night. the play to get her jealous or to win her over no no i had to it was just a tradition like i could if i kissed leanne without kissing that you, you can't in australia it's new year's eve yeah happy new year three right. two one yeah. new year happy you know you kiss people and oh, I, I knew okay. Okay. i knew so you're kissing everybody yeah you have to oh, all right okay. but but the, there was only one girl i wanted to kiss and it was leanne and so I'm looking, thinking, okay. you know, do I yeah, just go straight go right to the end? Yeah, you couldn't okay. go right I got it. Okay. So I had to kiss her fat friend first. Right. And so I'm like, I'm going to kiss, and then I'm going to kiss Leanne. And so, yeah, that, that one's a quick one, but I, I made sure to hold that one a little longer. So that was funny. So then, um, anyway, so Leanne... Had, had you like, talked to her before that? Oh, in, yeah, in church. We'd started talking. Yeah, and she, she'd lied about her age, too, the little... Yeah, little part. She did? Yeah, she told me she was a year older than she was. And she was hanging out with her sister, Janine, who has got who was kind of darker hair, you know, dark brown brunette yeah. almost. And uh, and then Rebecca Keys. Like the, these girls, that they, they were, I didn't realise there was almost three years age gap, but Leanne was hanging with them. So I just thought, oh, Leanne's that, that age. She's the same age as them. And then when her mum told me what her age was, I'm like, oh, dear God, like, I'm so sorry. And they're like, no, 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 oh, no, no, we totally approve. But, you know, um, 16 is what we told her that she's allowed to date. And even though she's, you know, young. How old was she? Uh, she was 15. 15? Yeah. She was turning 16 on the 20th of January. And you were 18. And I kissed her on the, yeah, I kissed her on the 1st of, 1st of January oh, when Lord. she was still 15. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You're kidding me. Yeah. But she lied. She said she was 16 with a birthday coming. So I'm thinking, okay, 17 and... Yeah, I was twenty one. You were twenty one then. Yeah, yeah. And she was fifteen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, keep going. Yeah. So how did that progress? So I'm just like, this is not going to, you know, this is not going to going to work. Did there's you, a there's you? a whole backstory to that one as well, where I, I was actually, um, remember, I said I didn't want the girl till till you give me the one that I'm going to marry. Yes. So I I told God that I said you know I don't want yeah. to, and so we we were. Um, Every every December they would do the Christmas catalog fashion parade. It was the biggest fashion parade in, in our city, and they had a really really big um, outdoor mall amphitheater, and it was they had a big stage. It was a big amphitheater, and they'd ha they put a catwalk up there, and there'd be you know anywhere from three to five thousand people come out, and they would just you know show all the latest you know evening gowns. Uh, formal wear, you know. So we we modelling everything from, you know, sadly speedos, oh, no. <laughs> all the way through to Yikes. you know three piece suits, you know, formal wear. If you're going to a formal function, so we, you know, and and it'd be about a two hour event. But it was you know live music and entertainment and prizes and giveaways, and you know we'd be there. And I remember, um, uh, I'm out the back and this very, very beautiful young lady, you know, starts talking to me and she says, I, I hear that you're a Christian. 
and uh, and I, I I was like now had matured in God, and I said, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, you know, and uh, living for God. And she says, well, she says, what church do you go to? She said, here you go to Wollongong Church of Christ. I said, yeah. She goes, oh, that's my mum's church. I'm thinking of going tomorrow. Mm. I'm like, you're thinking of going tomorrow? She goes, yeah, yeah. Like I've recently become a Christian. I said, wow. And I looked at her and it was, it was we were modeling swimsuits. And I'm like, wow. I mean, she looked like Elle McPherson. And so I'm like, dear Jesus. And so, you know, so back then um, she was on this side, I'm on this side. And then the catwalk goes down the middle. So we had to kind of you know paired to go down and so the whole rest of the night we were paired up that you know she was my, my pair so whether it was the formal she had this beautiful gown on this red gown this you know beautiful necklace and you know I had suit and I've got a you know and it's it's a different walking yeah. formal to you know and yep. different different kind of poses and anyway and so so I'm like and she gave me her phone number and I'm like dear God dear God so I'm like okay I got, I got to pray I got to pray and I said God like my heart's racing like she has dropped dead gorgeous she says she's a christian maybe she's the one it's been you know a little over two years almost two and a half years is is this the one her name's lisa so i'm like this this must be the girl you know and i said hang on no no god i'm gonna make it hard for so you. now we're two years after you said that yeah okay so i said to god i said all right god you know wollongong church of christ has changed my life this is incredible you know I said, God, if, if she's the one, if she's the one, if she's the one, I said, I've got to make it hard for God. How do I make it hard? I said, all right, God, if she's the one, if she's sent from heaven, then tomorrow when she turns up to church, now I'm the one waiting for her in the foyer at 9.45 for the 10 a.m. service. Let her wear all white so that I know she's from heaven. All white. Okay. Because I thought, yeah. who wears all white? So true story. I'm standing in the foyer, you know, and people are coming, people everywhere. And then it's like everything just froze and goes into slow motion. And I look through the crowd and there's this girl with white pants, white blouse, a white kind of like overthrow with white shoes, comes walking up and she goes, oh my God, it's so great to see you. How fun was that? And I'm like, so I'm sitting next to her in oh church and I'm like the whole time I couldn't concentrate. I'm like, this is it. Like I'm marrying the Elle McPherson of, of my city. This, oh my gosh. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, how, how do I know? This could just be a coincidence. It could just be a coincidence. So that, that was a Sunday. That Thursday, there was a battle of the bands that was happening and it was all Christian bands. It was this big concert and tickets were sold out. And there was, there was rumor that there was, you know, like a few tickets left. And I, I said to God, I said, God, look, if, if you, if Lisa's the one that you've got for me, then let her ha somehow have a ticket and invite me to, you know, the, the Battle of the Bands, this Christian band concert that's happening this Thursday. So church finishes and she comes over, she goes, hey, what are you doing on Thursday? I said, what are you doing? She goes, oh, that's the crazy thing. She goes, I've got a spare ticket to the Battle of the Bands. I'm like, dear God. So I go with her. We have the best time. And then I think I, I put one more fleece down. I, come over, I, gave, I gave God three. Jeez. I said I gave God three. And he went bam, 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 all three. So I was convinced. If you, if you would have met me then and said, Jurgs, yeah. who are you marrying? 
Lisa. I was marrying Lisa. She was beautiful. Came from a very, very broken home. And uh, but anyway, you know, we were on fire. We would worship together and go to Bible study together, and it was everything was just you know. So we were planning. I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm leaving engineering. We're going to go to Bible college. She's going to come with me to Bible college. We're going to do Bible college. We're going to get married. We're going to go into ministry. That that was the plan. Wow. Anyway, this <clears throat> one one night, I'm <clears throat> I'm Saturday night, and uh, I'm I'm over over at her home, and I, I notice that she's she's not happy. There's something going on, and so she just starts crying like in like inconsolable, just bawling, bawling, bawling. And I got my arm around her. I'm like, you know, Lisa, what's going on? What's going on? And she told me that when her mum and dad divorced, she was 14. And uh, and at 15, her mum didn't know what to do. So she took her and her little sister to England on a vacation. And while they were in England on a vacation, so here's a girl who's now lost her daddy. Dad's left for another woman. Yeah. Left the nest. So the nest is now unprotected. So mum doesn't know what to do. So she goes back to England so she can be around her relatives while she grieves the loss of and the betrayal of her husband. And she's got these, you know, two beautiful daughters. Well, her uncle says, I'll take care of Lisa. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll take care of Lisa. And then just like violently rapes and assaults this little 15-year-old girl. And she'd never been able to tell anybody about it. And then she she broke down and she says, and I'm bulimic anorexic. The reason, you know, that I do it is because I can't eat a meal without throwing it out, without, you know, putting my fingers down my throat. And uh, I'm tormented in my brain. It torments me, voices in church. And so, long story short, we end up getting her into the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, into the... um, it's like a recovery for, for eating disorders program. We supernaturally get her in, but then I realize that she needs deliverance. She needs, you know, healing. Yeah. So th- there was a powerful ministry back then, a woman called Chris Klein, and she moved powerfully in deliverance. So she prays with Lisa and, you know, all, all the trauma from the abuse. What this man with this, excuse me, this, animal did to her was just vile and she had all this trauma and all this brokenness and all these demons you know all, all this stuff she 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 got free and so it was meant to be nine months after almost four and a half months she comes out and she's and they're like we've never seen anybody recover so quickly you know she's eating she's put on weight she's holding a food down she's not throwing up she's in the best mental state like all of our therapists all of our psychologists you know Lisa's incredible so we get in the car and I'm like, okay, well, now that we got that out of the way, we're on our way to Bible study on a Tuesday night. Next year, I'm going to leave engineering. We're both going to go to Bible college. We're going to get married. So we're driving along and she's quiet in the car. So I'm driving and then she goes, oh, she goes, I really don't know how to tell you this. And I'm like, babe, you can tell me anything. She goes, oh, I just want to be friends. And I'm just, it was like she she reached in and just threw my heart on out the window onto the freeway to get run over by trucks. I'm like, so I, I was a mess for the next three days. I couldn't eat. I was heartbroken. I'd walk with her through 
all of this, it was it was probably seven months of dating. You know, four and a half of those months was with her up at the the hospital. I would drive from work every day, three hours each way in traffic. Wow. You know, to to be with her, to sit with her, minister to her. You know, get her through all of this. And then she tells me she just wants to be friends. I'm like, what the? And uh, so I'm crying out to God, God, you got to change your heart. God, I love her. She's the one. 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 On the third day of me praying that, I'm lying on my on my bed, and uh, uh, you know, saying God, I, I, and God says I've got somebody else. I'm like, I don't want anybody else. I want Lisa. And then I had some people come over and they're trying to say, hey, there's plenty more fish in the sea. I don't care about the fish in the sea. That's the fish I want. I don't want another fish. So I thought I've got to get out of here. So I jump in my car and uh, and I'm being snarky and sarcastic. And I just said to God, I said, you know what, God, thank you. Thank you that my heart's broken. Thank you that right now she just dumps me after all of that. Thank you that she only wants to be friends. And the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit's the third member yeah, of the Trinity. Yeah. He's, your, he's our helper. And he just, he just says to me, dude, what are, what are you doing? I said, well, the Bible says that I'm meant to give thanks to God for everything. He's like, no, you're not, you idiot, you moron. He says, read the Bible. It doesn't say give thanks for everything. It says in everything give thanks. You don't thank God for, you thank God in. I'm like, oh, what does that mean? He says, be honest with God. The Bible says God desires truth in the inward man. I'm like, oh, oh Holy Ghost, I read you're going to go there. You want you want me you want you want me to be truthful with God. Oh, so I wound the windows up while I'm driving because I didn't want anybody to hear. If we pulled up at a traffic light, I didn't want because most people knew I was a yeah. Christian. I didn't want anybody to hear what I'm about to tell God. So I've got the windows wound up, and I am I am telling him I effing told you I effing I effing gave up Debbie, and I effing said that I don't want a blankety-blank girlfriend until you blankety-blank give me the one I'm going to marry. And then I put, you didn't have, and I put the fleece down three times, three times back, back, and here I am with a broken heart, and here I am, you know, and I'm, you know, just giving it to God. And when I finish, as clear as I'm talking to you now, I hear God say, since when am I the servant and you the master? <laughs> and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> oh my gosh and then it's like he showed me what where Lisa was modeling on the outside but broken on the inside and God said I needed somebody who could love her enough wow. to unlock this and then he showed me a picture of Christ with a crown of thorns in his head and the Roman soldiers beating him and it was almost like the Holy Ghost was saying yeah God chose you because he thought you'd be man enough. Wow. And I said, God, God, forgive me. If a broken heart is what it took for Lisa to be set free, I said, forgive me. God, it was worth it. All the pain I'm feeling right now to know that that young lady is set free, God. And then he goes, that's all he was waiting for. And he goes, besides, she's not the one that I have for you. This is the one. And I see... Leanne, I see Leanne's face. And I'd never talked to Leanne, never met Leanne. I saw her walk past me at Wollongong Church of Christ. She walked past me one time. And I looked and thought, wow, she's cute. That was it. And God said, this is the one that I have for you. And I'm like, what? As I'm what? This is before you've kissed her. Before I kissed her, before I talked to her, before anything. She, so she's she says she's 15 at this point. Yeah. And God shows me, this is the one that I have for you. I'm like, God, there's no... 
No, there's no, what? There's no, what? They can't, what? How does that? And so anyway, the next Sunday I'm in church and this girl who was a little bit of a gossip and I knew she had a little bit of a, uh, like a crush on me. She comes over, she goes, I know someone who likes you after church. I'm like, okay, Monica, who? She goes, Leanne Gray. I'm like, hang on, that Leanne Gray? Yeah, that Leanne Gray, she likes you. So I'm like, okay, I didn't do anything that Sunday. The following Sunday I'm in church and halfway through the service, you know, the, the minister, the pastor says, okay, um, why don't you just take a moment, you know, greet the people around you, you know, say hi to the person behind you. So there's a really lovely couple standing in front of me and they turn around and and uh, the guy says, hi, you know, my name's Alan. I said, oh, hi, Alan, I'm Jürgen. And then he goes, this is my wife, Valerie. I said, oh, hi, Valerie, you know, I'm Jürgen. She goes, oh, you're Jürgen? I'm like, uh, yeah. She goes, oh, my God, my daughters talk about you all the time. They love you. I said, oh, who are your daughters? She goes, well, I've got five, but mainly Janine and Leanne. I said, oh, Janine and Leanne who? She goes, Gray. I said, Leanne Gray. She goes, yeah, that's my daughter. I'm like, wow. And then after the service, I'm talking, you know, with their... And so anyway, her dad took me aside and said, um, we've made a, a rule in our house there's no dating till any of our girls are 16 and uh, so I'm thinking okay that's a great rule so I said to Leanne how old are you she goes oh I'm 16 I'm like oh perfect this is awesome but she was saying I'm 16 projecting that yeah. you know in, in a month or so I'm going to be 16 on the you know 20th of January so so anyway so that's why I, I kissed her and then I found out after I kissed her that she was only 15 I'm like you little punk you know that's it was so funny so and then, then we then we courted, you know. So I had to wait till she was sixteen. But then I said to her, you know what? Um, I want to do it right. So, true story. So I was allowed to date her on her sixteenth birthday, January twenty. But I didn't hold her hand or kiss her again for three months. So we set this thing where, you know, if because I, I said, you know, and she had all these prophetic words that she was going to get married young marry a pastor and be in ministry so she had no aspirations for college all her sisters went to college two of her sisters have got double degrees she just knew like she was saying it doesn't matter anyway you know it doesn't matter how well i do at school i know i'm getting married young marrying a pastor and going into ministry she she just knew that she just had all these prophetic words that, that's what her life she was going to look like yeah so her mum told me it was her mum said oh my god and Leanne, she doesn't do great at school. She doesn't have great grades. She doesn't even try. You know, she's had all these prophetic words, and I don't. I'm not sure if the prophetic words have tripped her up because she just doesn't try at school academically, and and she's like, Mom, I already told you, I'm going to get married young, going to you know marry a pastor and be in ministry. Like, what are you what are you upset about? Like, you know, this is and so it was. It was just kind of. So I'm like, wow, hang on, this is because I'm thinking, how could this yeah. the age gap? age gap there's actually seven years between us wow yeah and i'm like there's no you know there's no way so i'm 55 she's 48 mm. so um yeah but anyway so uh so her dad you know lays the, the law down but i'm like okay he he lays the law down which is a right law no dating till 16 yep, yep. but i just said ah you know kissing's fun and holding hands is fun if i'm gonna marry you then i've got to live with you and i want to know i want to know you before I get enamored with kissing you, holding your hand and being with you, I want to know. So we did this thing where, okay, let's 
we're going to do three months of just friendship. No kissing, no holding hands, dating in groups. And so she, in a group setting, was hilarious. She she nicknamed me Stinky. Stinky. I don't know. I don't know where, where, oh, how. Uh, maybe there was a bad day with body odor. I don't know. But it'd be so funny. She'd run up. She goes, "How's your day, Stinky?" I'm like, Who? and everyone just like, because she like, like I mean, she can turn it on. Like she. Oh yeah. So I'm like, so after three months, it was, I'm telling you, it was the best thing I ever did. Best thing I ever did. It was like a trial. Like I'm, I'm going to Bible college. I'm serious about God. You know, I know that you can get tripped up with kissing and cuddling, and you know, there's no no handbrake in the manual, so you're holding hands and then you're kissing, and then kissing goes to heavy petting, heavy petting gets it, and there's you know, before you know it, you're in in hot water. So I'm like, okay, all I know is let's let let me just see if you're a personality, because ninety percent of marriage is the person, mm. you know, and so and she was entertaining, the storyteller, like the jokester, playing practical jokes. And I'm like, I love, like she is, do you see how beautiful you are? You don't need a personality. You, yeah. you are so beautiful. If anyone you know, could get a, a pass on having a person, it's you. But she's got personality and she's, she's beautiful. So I, I was like, I was hooked then. I'm like, oh my God, like that's the girl. Like she, and to this day, she is still like practical jokes, funny, like, yeah, you yeah. you two are just yeah. Like as far as my top three pastors to to watch, you she's in the top three for me. Wow, that's of everybody, amazing. men, yeah. women, wow. name it. She's wow. hilarious. She's so amen, funny. Leanne. Yeah, I know. And amen, Leanne. She says it the whole time. Yeah, that's right. Because everyone's shell shocked because she's yeah. the velvet hammer. She oh, just, she just hammers you. She's oh. just, I'll never forget the first time I saw her was at Emerge. Yeah, that's right. What she a message! Absolutely, what a woman destroyed wants. us. I know, in a good way. In like, a good way, like what we needed to hear. Called us out. Yes, I know. All men in our country are what is she? Soft. What was the words? Soft and lazy. Yeah. Soft, <laughs> like weak and lazy. Like yeah. she just, yeah, just, yeah. She'll kick you right in yeah. the bollocks, and then you're like thanking her for it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so okay. So then yeah. you went to uh, Bible. Co- Did you both go together then? No, well, no. That's she. A, that's a big age group. It is. Yeah. So I, I went to Bible college, but she, she. So at that point. Yeah. You already knew you wanted to go to Bible college and yeah. you wanted to be a pastor. Yeah. You knew this. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so what happened was I, I was sitting in church and um, Wollongong Church of Christ. Uh, and they, they, is that still going on this day? Uh, it is. It's a, sadly that minister's moved on and it's a shadow of what it used okay. to be. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of, a lot of how we do church today was formed by that ah, church. Yeah. It, you, heard, you said the worship and the worship was Lisa, right? Was it Lisa? Yeah. Did you, have you ever kept in touch with her at all? You know what? It was, um, for a few years afterwards we, we did. And then because I got sent from Bible college, I got sent to New Zealand and so she's still in, she was still in Australia. So we kind of lost touch the seven years in New Zealand. And then when we moved to San Diego. So uh, I think, I think um, when I was on Facebook before I was banned all those years ago, I think, you know, we, we'd kind of had a, a, a couple of messages, but yeah. that, that was about it. How but, about the surfer guy that yeah, got you? Jim Norman, basically yeah. Basically got you. Yeah, the one that invited guy. you there that got you yeah. saved. Yeah, Did I've seen him a number of times. Yeah, I've preached in the church he attends on the Gold Coast. Yeah. Is he just like in and awe? had an impact on his son as well, which is really beautiful. Yeah, is he in awe? Like, look at you yeah. from, from a, a dropping f bombs on a beach. Yeah, I know. 
Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Beautiful man. Good man. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Okay, yeah. so Bible college, go go from there. So I go to Bible college. And then we're and... going to get into Awaken. we got to get to All right, we're going to get to Awaken. All right. Okay. So anyway, so I go to Bible college, and Bible college was, um, I mean, it was life trans- transforming. Today it's known as Hillsong College, but back then it was called Power Ministry School. <laughs> P-M-S. Power <laughs> Ministry. I don't know why they changed it from P-M-S. Yeah, that's, that's to strong. To Hillsong College. It's strong. <laughs> PMS. <laughs> Power Ministry yeah, I wonder. But it was it was it was just what I needed. So there were again there were two colleges. Like our church, Wollongong Church of Christ, had a Bible college. Mm. And the senior minister sat me down. He's like, Hey, listen, I want you to come to our Bible college. He said, You know, where are you thinking of going? And so what had happened was they had this this young guy, twenty one, just graduated from their Bible college and they had him preach on the Sunday. And he gets up and he's got a three piece suit on and a tie and you know, he was 21 that going on, you know, 53, you know, and so he was very eloquent. And in the Greek, you know, the word, you know, yeah, zozo yeah. means, you know, and so he's, you know, doing all this. And the, the senior minister gets up afterwards. It was all very academia heavy. It's like, man, what a future that young man has. What a future. What a minister. And so I remember sitting there thinking, wow, you know, like, I don't have a three-piece suit. You know, this guy's eloquent. And then the associate pastor who now lives in the OC, his name was Pastor Wes Beefus. But Wes Beefus walks over to me and says, you know, Yurix, are you okay? I said, oh. I said, oh, man, this is going to sound crazy, Pastor Wes, but oh, I just feel like, I don't know, like after listening to that, maybe I'm not. I felt like maybe I was meant to be a, a preacher, but I don't know if I can. And he puts his hand on my shoulder. He goes, Yurix. You're going to be a preacher. You're going to be a great preacher. And I remember it was just, it was like he spoke life to me. So that's when I decided I can't go to Bible college. So I go to this thing called Youth Alive. Youth Alive was at the Horden Pavilion where they used to What's do. What's your dad thinking this whole time? Uh, he's he's lost his mind. He's lost his mind that I'm a Christian. Oh, lost. It. Yeah, he's yeah. He, he's angry. And uh, he, I haven't told him yet that I'm thinking of going to Bible college because, mm. you know, it's going to wreck him because he was proud that I was going to be a mechanical engineer. Right. And so, you know, because German engineering, so Audi, the Porsche, the Volkswagen, the BMW, you know, Mercedes, you know, like Germans love their engineering. Oh, yeah. So I, I, um, I go to this, this thing at, at the Horden Pavilion where they do, back then they were doing the, uh, the WWF, like, the, you know, 10,000, 15,000 people, you know, WrestleMania, all the big bands, NXS, you know, ACDC, all performed at the Horden Pavilion. Well, there was this youth movement called Youth Alive that had just exploded and there were, th- like, there was probably eight to 10,000 teenagers in this and it was praise and worship and they had this this guy who used to be the um he was six foot six foot eight or six foot ten he his name was big chick and he was he was the bodyguard for um acdc and he's he gets and he got radically saved he was in gangs he had bullet holes in him from or you know he had bullet wounds excuse me from you know where he'd been shot and gang warfare but he had this encounter with christ so he shares his testimony and he's telling about, and one time, um, you know, I've got Angus doing his guitar solo on one hand as I'm going through the crowd and pushing people away. And he's just up there, you know, like this guy was just like, he he, he had arms like legs. Huge. Like he was just huge. He had this black vest on, these big old arms and holding a Bible. 
And he's like, I want you to know where I've been hit. I've been in a lot of fights, gang fights, but I've never been hit like when the power of God hit me. I went to this church and I was a skeptic. I was sitting up the back out. They said, sir, you need to take off your glasses. I said, F you, I ain't taking my glasses off. And I'm sitting up the back and then they gave the, the appeal to come forward. I don't know what happened, but my legs started moving. I'm down the front. I said, God, I don't want to be here. I don't even believe in you. And the pastor laid hands on me. I've never been knocked out of my, I was knocked on my ass, you know. And, and so he talked about this encounter with God, this life-changing encounter. And I'm sitting there. And so anyway, they were, they were inviting people to go to Bible college and they were promoting power ministry school. So I lined up to get one of the, the brochures that they had. They had this prospectus brochure. So I lined up, but the line was like a hundred deep and it wasn't moving. And I had filled my car with teenagers to take them to this event. So I'm like, ah, oh, well, you know, I guess it's not for me. So I get in the car and when I get in the car, my car was locked in the parking lot. There's two brochures inside my car. And I'm like, that's weird. How did those brochures get in there? So I thought maybe one of the kids, while I wasn't looking, got in the car and put it on the dash. So at every, as I'm dropping every kid home, I'm handing him, so that's not mine, not mine, not mine. I'm like, and then I realize, you know, God or an angel put these in my car. My car was locked, couldn't. So I'm looking at it, but it was double to go, the, the, tu- the yeah, tuition. tuition was double what it was to go to Wollongong Church of Christ. I didn't know anybody there. It was like a three and a half hour drive from where I lived. You know, rent was way more expensive there than, you know, like for all the practical reasons I shouldn't go there. And then I sat down with a minister at Wollongong Church of Christ. He's like, look, if you come to our college, it's half the price. You can stay at home and we guarantee you that we'll put you on staff when you graduate. So, but I'd felt God say, this is where mm. I want you to go. So I called Power Ministry School. I said, hey, listen, got to make a choice, you or Wollongong Church of Christ. I said, do you guys guarantee like a job when I'm finished? No, no guarantee. I said, well, th- these guys are, well, we're just telling you, there's no guarantee. We make no guarantees. So then I had to explain to my parents, yeah, there's two Bible colleges, but I'm not going to that one. I'm going to this one. This one has a guarantee. This one's half the price, and this one I get to live at home. This one, double the price. I don't know where the hell I'm going to stay, and they don't have a job when you're finished. And so my father's looking at me, you are a moron. But I just knew, and yeah. it was it was something that God was doing all the way, way back then. He was always making me make the tough choice. Mm. He, was, he was always... He was testing me to see whether I would choose the way of men yes. or the way of God. Mm. The easy way, the way that I could work it out, or the way that only he could work it oh, out. Yeah. And, it was, and, and that's been literally the story. So I, I end up going to power ministry school. I have no idea, but God opens every door. God does. And then at the end of, and at the end of so I did three years of Bible college in two years. Because what I did was I saved up so much money in my engineering um, that I had a whole year's salary to live off because I just put uh, you know, I just put all this money aside, and so I was able to do two years in one year in the first year. So um, when I graduated, there were two options. One was to go and be the youth and associate pastor of a church on the Gold Coast, the Go- and literally my office was across the road from the ocean, like there was the ocean right there. And I'm like, this is Jesus. Wow. It's the Gold Coast, warm weather, beautiful beaches, Christian sur- Christian surfers. I can be Christian. Sur- oh, this is Jesus. The other one, 
and it had a part-time salary. The other one, to start with, the other one was go to New Zealand to one of the most violent ghetto places, Manukau City, New Zealand, no beach, no salary. It's a brand new church. They've got nothing for you, and you can just believe God. So I'm like, yeah, you can, yeah, sure, yeah. So again, I'm like, I'm Gold Coast, it's Gold Coast, I'm going to marry Liani, this is perfect, we can live on the Gold Coast, rent's cheap, I've got a part-time salary, uh, I can meet her parents and say, you know, Mr. Gray, I want to marry your daughter, this is my job, I've got a guaranteed position, part-time salary, you know, Leanne can get a part-time job, we can make it work, this is going to be amazing. And then there was a prophet, and uh, he was... He was over from America, and he was he was doing our graduation of Bible college. So it was the graduation night. So, and he goes, "Where's Jurgen? Jurgen, get out here!" And so I walk out, and I knew, I just knew, because I had this. God's God's like, "Oh, you you got the easy way, huh? Here we go. Huh? You got the easy way, right? Had you already chosen to go there? Like I'd felt in my heart that's where I wanted okay, to go. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and he goes, um, "God's sending you." to New Zealand he has no idea what's going on he goes I see you lying on a floor and he describes the floor he says the floor is is it's got these square colored tiles I see blue I see yellow I see so what had happened about six months earlier I'd forgotten to bring my my wallet and so we had 6 a.m. prayer meeting and then 8 8 a.m. was chapel, but prayer went from 6 to 7. There was one hour where everyone would go across the street. There was a bakery, and we'd get like a, you know, an apple pastry and a, you know, chocolate milk, and, you know, we'd talk and fellowship and then come back for chapel. I'd forgotten my wallet, but there was such a thick presence of God in the prayer meeting. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to linger in the presence of God. So I lay down on the floor. And as I lay down on the floor, the Holy Spirit just fell on me, and I just began to cry out to God, saying, God, here I am. Send me to the nations. Send me to the nations. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. God, send me to the nations. So this prophet was in America when all that was happening. He has no idea. And he's like, I see you laying on a floor. And I and I, this is what I see. I see these colored tiles. And it was like this linoleum, you know, with colored check tiles on the floor. And he says, and you asked of me, now he's speaking on behalf of God, to send you to the nations. You cried out to me, God, send me to the nations, send me to the nations. I'm trying to send you to New Zealand, and you don't want to go. You're choosing the easy way. What am I to do with you? Did you just have, like, goosebumps all over Oh, my gosh, like- I was freaking wrecked. So, I, you know, I, we're driving home, and, you know, Leanne... I, I said to Leanne, I said, hey, babe, remember how I told you there were two options? Yeah, 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 oh, the Gold Coast, I'm so excited. I said, oh, honey, I said, I need you to go and pray. I said, because God spoke to me and I don't want, I don't want to tell you what he told me. I want him to tell you what he told me. So she goes into her room. She comes out. She goes, no, just tell me, just tell me. I said, babe, go back in the room and don't come out till God tells you. She goes in about 30 minutes later. She comes out and she's bawling. She's bawling. I said, what did God say? She goes, you're going to New Zealand. (laughs) I said, I know. I said, but I promise you I'm going to get engaged before I go. So um, on her 17th birthday, I put a ring on her finger. Her dad let me. And then uh, three days later, I got on a plane. 
and flew to New Zealand. So we were a part our whole engagement, seven and a half months. And so August, August 12, I fly back and we got married August 15. <sighs> all right. So, all right. You have to fast forward now and okay. get to San Diego somehow. Okay. <laughs> we still haven't got there. So we do seven years. We do seven years. Seven years. Another seven years. So we do seven years in New Zealand. Now, seven years later. So I took the youth group over about 50 kids. Seven years later, there's over a thousand kids turning up on a Friday night. It's, it's, we're in, we're in 15 high schools a week. We've got revival in the high schools. And my senior pastor says to me, he says, Hey, listen, um, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else you can do. Like, the, the church has gone from two and a half thousand people to six thousand people on a Sunday. No, were you the youth pastor the entire I was time. The youth pastor the, the entire whole, time. The entire time, seven years. So yeah, and he says, "I want you to pray about starting a church." I'm like, "Starting a church? Oh my How gosh. old were you at this point? Uh, Thirty. Okay, yeah, thirty-seven. Right around, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. thirty-seven. Yeah. And so I'm like, "Oh God, I really don't want to, you know, because." Starting a church means I've got to grow up. When you're a youth pastor, it's the Peter Pan of ministry. You yeah. never have to grow up. Someone else is responsible. You're the youth guy. You know, we, we, I got street cred from, you know, we, we stole shopping carts and then we found the steepest hill and we put kids in with helmets and they're, they're crappy plastic helmets and we would race them down and, you know, yeah. and you can't steer the things. One guy hits a parked car and goes through the back windscreen into the, and we rushed to hospital and, and, Kids, kids in the neighborhood were hearing about the antics we were getting how up fun, to. How fun you were having. They were coming to our youth group because they'd never seen anything like it. I mean, you'd get locked up today. We, we, you, know, you, know, you know McDonald's, had, they have those trays, yeah. you know, the tray with the yeah. food. So we, we stole a whole bunch of trays from, uh, borrowed, excuse me, we borrowed. We don't steal. We borrowed, we borrowed from McDonald's these trays. We drill a hole in it. We put this high tensile steel wire and we tie it to the, the back of a, a, a truck. And, uh, and so we created um, our own superhero and he, he was and our teenage high school ministry was called the pulse you know like if you want yeah. if you want to know the pulse of what God's doing come to the pulse boom, 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 pulse so we created this guy called the pulse man so we took a Superman cape and instead of the s we we sewed a big P for pulse man over the s and then we found this John Travolta full face mask, and so he had it. And so he was, a, you know, I was like this. And so, and we, and so we had all these kids who wanted to be stuntmen. And so we would t- get, they'd take turns in being postman. And postman would every week would feature postman doing something crazy. And so it became it became like prolific all through all the schools. Everybody knew postman. You know, we'd go down to the mall, and kids would mob him and. You know, he'd do stuff like it's. They had security. You weren't allowed, you know, to swim in the fountain. Well, he would. He would. You know, one time we took um, uh, washing detergent, and and so the fountain's overflowing with bubbles. And then he dives in, and he gets arrested, and and the kids are all cheering. And then I'm getting phone calls, and you know, like the church, you're putting the church in a bad name. Why you do? You know, so. But but the the stuff. Still loving this. Well. Not really. Not really. Sometimes he was. He was loving the growth, but he yeah. wasn't loving yeah. the antics. Anyway, so so we drill this hole in this in this um, tray, and then Pulse Man is going to sit on it, and you know, because he's got no expression, it's just this permanent John Travolta smile. You know, he just he just go like this. Excuse me. He just you know, I'm trying to do thumbs up. He's doing the thumbs up like this. Well, all of a sudden we've got a camera inside the the truck, and then a camera behind the truck, and then a camera following on the field. And, uh, and so we have this, this field, and so they start driving with Pulse Man sitting on this thing, and it's going like this, and you'll see, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. It gets to 80, 
and this thing is booking, so it leaves the ground. And as the truck turns the corner, he doesn't make the corner, it just launches Pulse Man into the Lantana bushes. And he just goes, I mean, he is like a projectile missile just launched and we're like oh my god he's dead oh my god he's dead and and we had a joke every week where we had like a fire extinguisher and it didn't matter what happened to pulse man we had a fire extinguisher you know that we could and so we put him out yeah so yeah and so we rush in there and you know he lives and but he's all torn up and you know we put the fire extinguisher on him you know it was and it was but just you know it was like this it just went crazy. You know, if there was if there was YouTube back then, he would have been a YouTube oh, he sensation. Been, yeah. He had a BMX bike where um, there was a we, we call it a blowhole, and a blowhole is uh, it's it's a natural hole that grows uh, that that is formed on the cliffs, and when there's a really big swell, really big surf, the the the, the, the uh, water the wave that's gone in first goes up, and as it's coming down, the next one hits it and it goes. And it just you know, blows water out of the top. It was this really really big swell, and so we got Pulse Man, and so he wanted to ride his BMX bike and literally launch off the BMX bike, and it's about a hundred foot drop, and he's going to go down. So we got guys down the bottom, you know, in full wetsuits with a with a waterproof camera, you know, down the bottom filming, and then he's up the top. The problem was, um, people ran and jumped in, and and every year kids would die. Um, but there's rocks. When you're running, you can dodge the rocks, but not when you're riding a, a, a BMX bike. Right. So he rides and he hits one rock, hits the second rock and gets out of control, but doesn't have enough momentum. And so the next minute he he's flying through the air, free fall dropping on this BMX bike. And, you know, it looks anyway. And there's because there's a ledge you have to clear this this rock ledge. And then, you know, there's the blowhole. Well, the bike just disintegrates. It just hits the ledge. It looks like he's going to hit the ledge, but fortunately it flips him into the water. But he was so panicked that he didn't let go. So he comes up still holding the handlebars. The bike is just completely obliterated, completely disintegrated. And so that one, that one there literally, you know, went through every high school. So we had hundreds of kids turning up. Kids, they'd never seen... Christianity exciting, Christianity powerful, and Christianity, and so they were turning up. We had the most incredible moves of God and the power of God, and so so Phil Pringle says, "I want you to go and plant a church." I mean, man, I don't want to have to leave all of this because all of the yeah. things that put you in prison give you street cred with teenagers, but those are the things that lose you credibility with with you know yeah. families and parents. So we pray and three times God says, church, church, church. So we knew. So we go back and I said, all right, we'll plant a church. He's like, where do you want to plant? I said, Gold Coast. It's the only place in Australia back then didn't have a church over a thousand. I said, we'll go to the Gold Coast. He's like, yeah, no, I want you to pray about San Diego. I'm like, San Diego? That's not even in Australia. He's like, no, it's in America. I'm like, San Diego. So we go, we start praying. And I'm telling you, from three of the most random sources, the most random sources, God says, San Diego, San Diego, San Diego. One of them was um, in May, Leanne and I, because we'd never been to San Diego. So we're feeling like, so Phil Pringle says, listen, why why don't you and Leanne fly over to San Diego and just see what God says when you get over there? So we, we do a five day trip. So, so we don't miss a Sunday. So we, we fly over on a Monday and then we, we leave on the, on the, I think it was on the, uh, Friday to get back on the on the sat on for the Sunday. 
So we're here for five days. And um, anyway, I'm walking on the on the beach in La Jolla because I love surfing. And everyone told me the water's really cold. So I've taken my shoes off and I've put my phone in my back pocket. And I'm walking along the water. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's not too bad. Ah, oh, it's not too cold. It's May. Ah, oh, you know, it's, 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 it's bearable, you know, and good waves. What I didn't realize was my phone in my back pocket had... There was a guy in Australia called Zoran, Zoran Ponovich who um, had a book, In Your Dreams. Very prophetic guy. And three times God spoke to him and said, call Jürgen and tell him I'm sending him overseas. I'm sending him to plant a church. And Zoran's like, oh God, there's no way this is you. Like, He's got. He's the number one youth communicator in Australia. He serves in Phil Pringle's church, one of the greatest churches in the world. Why would he ever leave? There's no way he would leave. He's going to be the heir apparent. He's, you know, he's going to. His future's here in Australia. His future's at that church. I'm not telling him that. I'm not telling him that. I'm not telling him that. He said three times. God spoke to him three times. He ignored it. He said. Then all of a sudden, he looks, and his phone's ringing, and my name has come up in his phone. It's in my back pocket. I don't even know. So I there's a guy called Anthony Arntz yeah. who I've called probably 10,000 times but dialed him because he's A and his last name starts with A. So he's at the top. So it's always that him. It's I've never called anybody below an M. So here somehow my phone has scrolled all the way through all the contacts to Z and then of all the Zs it calls Zorin. And so Zorin's like, hey, hello, Jürgen, Jürgen, hello? And all he can hear is me talking with Leanne, saying, babe, like, what do you what do you feel about God calling us here? And Leanne's like, everything's different. I, I don't understand everything. Everything seems so familiar. I want to stay in Australia, but I don't want to disobey God. I don't want to come, but I don't want to disobey God. I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I like San Diego, but... I don't want to disobey God. And so, you know, we get back and then all of a sudden there's a text message on my phone. I look at it and Zoran says, you just butt dialed me. I don't know if you realize this, but three times God spoke to me and he told me and then he just gave us word for word. So we knew and I said, look at this. And she's like, oh my God. So we had goosebumps again. So we knew then we went back, sold everything and then moved over with our three little boys. Got here July 4th. July 4th. Yeah. Tell, tell the story when you're coming on the plane. Oh, it's so funny. Because, you know, my birthday is July the 3rd. So July 4th, we're flying in to San Diego and there's all the fireworks going on. And I'm like, I didn't even I didn't know what July 4th was, you know, oh, yeah, Independence yeah. Day. I had no idea. And I'm seeing <clears> all the fireworks. And so I just said to the boys, I said, kids, kids, look. Look at our welcome. They're like, this is for us. I said, actually, no, it's not. It's you know, it's Independence Day, and so it was just magnificent. We get to the airport, and there's here in San Diego, and there's no one to pick us up, you know. So when you're when you're an itinerant speaker, there's always somebody to, mm. that's invited you. Yeah. So there's someone to meet you, someone to pick you up. They've got your hotel. Sometimes they've already checked you in. That here's your hotel room keys. Um, you know, there's transportation. There's so we get there, and it's very very clear. There's nobody here. Nobody knows we're coming. There's no. And then our accommodation had fallen through. So I'd, I'd, I'd um, booked a place in Rancho Bernardo. And uh, what I didn't realize was when I had to hand my laptop and everything in, my, my father-in-law didn't have any internet. 
And so the guy had an offer. This is uh, 2005 and the market was out of control. Somebody said, I'll take the place, but I'll take it for two years. So he said, hey, listen, I've already received your deposit. You'll need to match two years or preferably beat him three years and it'll be yours. But if I don't hear back from you, I'm going to go with him because I'd rather two years guaranteed rent than one year guaranteed rent and you know afford you back your money. Another email, he said, hey, I haven't heard from you. If, you, if I don't hear from you in the next 24 hours, I'm going to refund your money. So I literally look at my, now that I've got internet, I look and there's the succession. And then the last one is, um, I've re- refunded your, your deposit. And so Leanne then looks at me, she goes, babe, babe, what's the house like where we're staying? I'm like, remember when Jesus was about to be born and there was nowhere for him to stay? What do you mean? I'm like, how could God do that? So we then had to go to Alamo Car Rentals. We rented a car. But, and it took hours because we had, you know, oh I didn't gosh. have an American driver's license. I didn't have, you know, a, a place to stay. I, you know, I had nothing. So they're like, no, we can't give you. I said, I rented the freaking car. I rented it on, well, it's a different, you know. And so it took us almost two hours. Kids are jet lagged out of their brain. So we start driving and I get lost. I don't even know where the hell I'm going, but I'm on the 15. Somehow I'm on the fifth. I think I'm on the five, but I'm on the 15. And then Leanne just sees Marriott. And so she goes, take the next exit. So we take the exit at, at um, uh, I think it's Poway Parkway. Yeah, Scripps and Poway Parkway. Scripps Poway Parkway. And there's there's two Marriotts. There's a Marriott residence in. So we pull into the residence in. And so I walk in. It's midnight now. And uh, and, and I walk in. And I sit at the manager. I listen. You know, accommodation's fallen through got a wife and three kids, do you have any availability? And he goes, you know, he's looking, he goes, you know, how long do you want it for? I said, oh, shoot, uh, six weeks. He goes, six weeks? He goes, I can do two days. I said, I'll take it, I'll take it, because I just needed somewhere yeah, that night. Yeah. So he gives us a case we have two days. So I said, you know what, I'm going to stick it to the devil. You freaking devil, I'm going to stick it to you. I've always wanted to go to Disneyland. We, You know, my the girl who lived across the street from me, she went to Disneyland when I was 10 and came back. And for a month, we had show and tell. Everybody would forfeit their show and tell to have Lisa tell another Disneyland story. No way. Yeah, it was just like we were just enamored with Disneyland. So I said, you know what? I'm going to give my kids what I could never have myself. So I said, we're going to go to Disneyland. So the manager of the hotel was from Canada and he just, you know, we just had favor and he says, listen, he goes, by this weekend, I think I've got a room that might be available for you. And I said, well, I'm going to go take the kids to Disneyland for three days. He goes, that's perfect. When you come back, he goes, give me your phone number. So anyway, so we go to Disneyland where it's, you know, it's just amazing. And then when we come back, we got to stay there for, for almost six weeks and it, it was just awesome. And that's right next to Yanni's. Right next to Yanni's. Yes. But it wasn't Yanni's back then, but it is. It's yeah. right next to Yanni's. Yes. Yeah. And I love Yanni's. Yeah, we were just there this, uh, for Father's Day. What? Yanni's yes. is awesome. Dr. Matt uh, introduced us. And oh, we live right in Scripps Ranch. We had no you idea. live there? We I had didn't no know idea. that. You're on Scripps Ranch. Okay, I love Scripps. Okay, so, all right, so now we, we've got to land the plane mm-hmm. somehow, because okay. I'm not even going to tell you what time it is. Okay. Whoops. All right. That's a good story. All right, so you give me the... 
when you first opened. Yeah. Can you give me that one? Can you give me like the first story of where you were and how, yeah. it, start, how it all began? Because I want people that sure. people that have been with the church yeah. for a while to really appreciate. Yeah. Like where you started. Yeah. We started, you know, it was really, really funny. I, I felt like I, I, a lot of churches start in a home and I really felt God say, don't, don't start in a home. Don't have a home mentality. Have a, have a, I, I sent you here to impact a city. So I wanted to start in a hotel ballroom. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to start with class. I wanted to start with excellence. You know, I just, I just, I, I just thought I've got to post this thing out there. And so again, I thought I was on the 15 freeway now, but I was on the 56 and I look up and I see Marriott. So I'm like, oh my gosh, Marriott's been kind. So I pull over and it's the Marriott there, Del Mar, yep. Camel Valley, Del Mar. And so I walk in there and said, listen, this is who we are. And the, the girl who, who was in charge of conferences and, you know, hospitality, she's like, oh my gosh, you're the kind of client we're looking for. I had a video made up. This is the kind of church that we want, want to build. This is going to be our clients, going to be full of, you know, young adults and young families. She's like, oh my God, we would love to. So we, she signed us up on the spot, $1,000 a Sunday. Wow. And we could, you know, have, have church. So I, I was pumped. And then the, you know, the second week, so we launched 21st of August, six weeks later. At a very, very first Sunday, we had 67 what, what people. 2005. 2005. 67 people on our first Sunday. How did you market? How did you get people to Well, that was the thing. We we would just go out to eat and I would just, you know, people were like, hey, you guys are C's? We're like, yeah. Oh, you're on vacation. Now we moved here. Oh, why'd you move here? Oh, starting a church. What kind of church? Christian church. Oh, really? And so we just tell them and they're like, hey, we're going to come to your church. We're going to come check it out. So literally it was all people that we just met. You know, I met Dr. Matt and, you know, and he's like, how did you meet him? Um, well, I preached up in Seattle and the guy who was his BFF, who was his uh, dorm buddy at, at college, said, dude, I just heard one of the best messages I've ever heard in my life. This guy's planning a church in San Diego. Here's his number. You need to get to know him. So Dr. Matt thinks he's calling the church office number, but we didn't have a church office. All I had was a cell phone. So he calls and I answer and he's like, hang on, you, you're answering? I said, yeah, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the pastor. And so I said, let's meet for lunch. So we meet for lunch and he tells his secretary, look, you know, call me in an hour and tell me I've got to go. There's someone waiting for me because I don't want to get stuck with a pastor. And so when when his secretary called, he says, cancel my afternoon. And we spent the next three hours just talking. And so he's like, I'm going to be at your church on Sunday and bring in 20 people. I'm like, ha, 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 Yeah, right. This was in the first, how long? This was like just, I'd only been here a few weeks. A few weeks? Yeah. How many services in did he come? First Sunday. He was there the first Sunday? There were the first Sunday. And his mother flew down from Sacramento to be there on the first Sunday. Yeah. And so, he, but he lied. He said he was going to bring 20 people with him. He lied. He brought 22. He brought 22. 22 people he brought. He brought, because he's an evangelist. Yeah. So 22. So we have 60. So I'm like, this is incredible. But we, we'd paid five grand for this 5,000 mailer that was meant to go out. And they they had a hang up and it didn't go out, so I ripped them. So, so they said, "Sir, what we're going to do? We're so sorry. We're going to do ten thousand, yeah. and we'll do it the following week." So the next week we had ninety nine people, but the problem was, the Marriott had double booked us with a bar mitzvah, and because August was a five Sunday month, they had okay. We got August, we got September, we got October, November, and December, but they didn't see that last Sunday, so. Instead of it being available, the ballroom being available, it was there was a bar mitzvah there. 
So they called around every other hotel they could we couldn't find anywhere and at you know 7 30 in the morning there's panic and we got church starting shortly and there's you know nowhere to go so i I drove down there and i'm like to the manager hey you got to fix this like we tried sir sorry there's nothing we can do and i just looked out and i saw they got a valet parking parking lot and then there's a parking structure i said i want you to move all the cars out of the valet parking and put it in the parking structure we'll do it outside and i said oh Yes, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, please, please, you can do it outside. Yeah, yeah. So so they just set up chairs, they, and it was like it was like 91 degrees or something. It was so hot. But they brought out, um, you know, these water stations, and, you know, there's still photos of people with umbrellas, you know, to for the shade. And uh, that's where Jesse and Kat Sullivan were there. Dr. Matt was there. In fact, many of the people who are still in our church today, Jose, Jose Rubicam yes. was playing bass. Shut he up. was leaving that the next day he was leaving to go and help plant a church in Arizona but he played bass and sold us a whole bunch of the the sound equipment so it was amazing the seeds were were back Isn't then. Jose the one that does the the, the LED LED that's right? he's the one doing LED. Boise yeah that's it cuz he bought Jose. a sleep system from me that's right he's awesome he's okay like, so who else was a part of that first couple of oh gosh that's how it started Naomi literally just word Jesse, of mouth Jesse cat word of mouth Word of mouth, yeah. And every week it just grew. Every week more people would come. And then we hit 300 people like in, in a few months. And then I had my friend Tim Hall come from Australia. And he had an incredible move of God. Bodies, you know, people slain in the spirit, people getting healed. And then the next week we had 120. Because we found that in America there was a lot of people back then, 2005, who wanted to go to church. They didn't necessarily want to find God. Because, mm. you know, I want church. I'm not sure I want God. Because God can kind of interfere with my personal preferences. Those, you know, those pesky yeah. Ten Commandments. So, so you know, but it was good. And so Dr. Matt's like, oh, dude, you, you're not going to have a move of God again, right? I said, no. I said, that was the best thing that happened. He's like, but you lost more than half your church. I'm like, exactly. Now oh, so I, tell me, yes. Now I know the ones that we can build with. We couldn't build with those other flakes. They were only here for, you know, sunshine, lollipops, and good weather. And uh, wow. so then we, then the ne- six months later, we were back to 300, and then Tim Hall came again. So you were again. at 300. Yeah. And because you had a move of God, yeah. where people were actually getting laid out. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, I mean, me- I know what it means, but. Yeah, it's it's a little bit like if, if you took a knife and stuck it into a power socket, yeah. you're going to feel something. Correct. It's probably going to throw you back. Well, well now times that by infinity that's the power of god but he's gentle but when the holy spirit hits you you're quite over overwhelmed and the best way i describe it is like if you had to go in for surgery how do i do it well i lay you out and i put you to sleep with anesthetic while i operate you wake up and the operation's done that's really what god does people get prayed for and they get laying out and god operates while they're kind of under a holy yeah. ghost anesthetic right so yeah so it's 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 a phenomenon that's you know all through the scriptures and it's you know and it's happens today and it's and it's just the presence of the holy spirit a lot of people find it freaky because you can't control him so a lot of pastors can't give up control but if you give up control you get miracles but if you want to control then you don't get miracles and so we've decided there are too many people that need miracles the amount of people have come in with terminal cancer and you know four weeks left to live and you know unable to have babies one ovary removed and you know cysts on the other one and doctor's diagnosis is hey just adopt and then all of a sudden they're pregnant and then pregnant with twins and you know just the miracles that that keep happening and it's you know and the holy wherever the holy spirit is there's miracles wherever there's no miracles there's no holy spirit holy spirit and miracles go hand in hand even mary you know when she says to the angel hang on i'm not married 
and you're telling me that I'm going to be pregnant and bring forth Jesus, the Messiah? How's this going to happen? I, I, I don't know a man. And he, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit is the producer of miracles. So that's what we couldn't believe when we came here. Like so many churches were afraid of the Holy Spirit or resisted the Holy Spirit or just made no room for the Holy Spirit. I'm like, man, why would you do that? He's, he's the one that brings all the miracles. Don't you, don't you need miracles? Don't you need God's power flowing in your church? So that's why we're a, you know, we say we're a Holy Spirit-friendly church because whenever he shows up, he shows up with gifts. He shows up with power. So you're 300. Yeah. And when you had a move of God, it was your buddy that came in. Yeah. People getting laid out. Yeah. That turned off half the people. Over half, yeah. We lost Over about, half. Yeah, we lost about 180. The next Sunday was 120. <gasps> Were they just like, this is ridiculous? What what what, what was their viewpoint? Like, oh, I don't believe this or it's yeah. too much for me. You know what? There was um there was there was one one girl, she was I, I won't say because it'll it'll identify, but she was Miss and then fill in her state. So she she was a beauty pageant, yeah. not just contestant, but yeah. winner. Yeah. And she'd had a little bit of an eating disorder. And uh and when when um, the move of God started happening, because you, you've seen, you know, like Rex Crane oh, or even our guys, yeah, yeah. words of knowledge, words of wisdom, where right. reading your mail, things that you think only you and God know about you, and then all of a sudden he's telling you what Correct. only you and God yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So he was doing that. So she freaks out because she thinks her my husband doesn't know my secret. So she gets up and runs out and says, I'm never going back to that church. I'm never going back to that church. And so we had a few people that, you know, they were, they were living in. So, you know, one of the girls that left um, worked at TGI Fridays. And so, you know, I met her, you know, we were just out to eat and she just happened to be our waitress and she was, she was a little bit, and I'm like, hey, sweetheart, honestly, no pressure. I know that you've, you know, you've left, no worries. She goes, yeah, look, um, you know, I'm living with my boyfriend and so we've gone back to this other church and she goes, I really love your church. It's amazing, except... Oh, I just find there's too much pressure. I said, oh man, like pressure, did we put pressure on you to serve, like in kids ministry? Like, I, I don't understand, what do you mean pressure? Because no, no, like at your church, it's kind of like you gotta be a Christian every day. Hmm. You know, so, and then God said, you know, the Bible says in the book of Acts, it says that, you know, and nobody dared join the church, but daily the Lord added those who were being saved. So people realize, man, you know, there's a price to pay for the for the God life. And so people are like, ah, I'm not sure I'm ready yet. But daily those who were were added to the church. And God just said, Don't freak out. Don't don't do anything different. You're not doing anything wrong. In fact, you're doing everything right. And so we, we just did that. We just said, Hey, we're not gonna lower the bar, we're not just gonna say, Hey, nothing matters just come on in you know because we're all about trying to get bums on seats we're not we, we know that our assignment is to disciple people to empower people right to empower people to literally experience heaven on earth and that comes with the price so and then um you know so dr like, matt's like you're not gonna have another move of god right yeah yeah and then tim hall came another six months later and this time i got him john heinrichs and uh tim hall together and so that's why matt moves in power that's why john heinrichs moves in power yeah because Tim Hall moved in power and then got them up and prayed for them and then got them praying and so you know so that's that's you know so th it's one of the one of the staples of of awaken is the the miracles yeah you know yeah, what's you, the staple of awaken you know there's, there's three miracles a, a church yeah. of life 
Yeah, it is. It's it's a it's so so. God said to me, you know, because people would ask, "Hey, oh, you you're here from Australia. You're planning a church. What kind of church is it?" And so I wanted to say, "Oh, it's a Pentecostal church." And then people said, "Pastor, don't say that. Pentecostal they associate with the snake handlers." I'm like, "Oh, it's charismatic." And they're like, "Don't say that." They associate that with TBN and the big you know eyelash gold medallion crowd. I'm like, "Oh crap, what do I say?" And God says, "Tell tell them it's a life giving church." So it's, oh, it's a life-giving church. It's a life-giving church. Life, and then that's when he gave me those three words, fresh, real, powerful. Yes. So the kind of church that I want you to build is one that's fresh. You're not rehashing old old microwave meals that you've frozen. It's fresh revelation, fresh preaching, fresh manna from heaven every week. It's real. Don't get up there and BS people. You get up there and you talk about your battles, your struggles, you know, the things that you've walked through. He says, be transparent. If you'll be transparent, I'll be I'll be visible. He says, When you're visible, I'm invisible. When you're when you're transparent, I turn up. I was like this. And so we want God to turn up. So God says, If you'll be real, if you can pay the price to be real, be vulnerable to people. And you've seen Leanne and I. Yeah. You know, we shared, so real. man, we did this. She kicked, she kicked the fins out of my surfboard. I was a jack wagon, you know. So we share, and then powerful. God says, you know, Holy Spirit, don't don't shy away. He's power. Let his power come upon people. When people come in, they're going to have all kinds of terminal diagnoses. Like just just yesterday, I'm at San Marcos. Oh, it's Monday, Sunday, I'm at San Marcos, and man was colon cancer, weeks to live, comes into our church just a month ago gets prayed for he says he starts crying beautiful man starts crying and uh, and he says the doctors just told me um they he, he said the the oncologist said i know you had colon cancer he says i've been doing this for over 30 years i know what colon cancer looks like and he says i've got good news these are your x-rays before that is colon cancer these are your x-rays now there's no colon cancer i don't know how to tell you this sir You've had a miracle. There is no colon cancer in your body. And, and he's telling me this crying. You know, and his daughters are around him. They're like, we thought dad was, you know, dead and came to this church. And could you pray for him? So I'm praying, you know, just so, so, but really the prayer I was praying for him on this Sunday was a token prayer just to wash away the, the yeah. trauma. But, but we see that all the time. So it's fresh, real, powerful. Even like Leanne knew from the start she wanted to have a women's ministry. So she's I'm going to start a women's ministry. And I feel like, I feel like God gave me the word cherish, mm. that, that, you know, America, the, the number one producer of pornography, what we're going to do is we're going to be the antithesis of it, that a woman's not to be used and abused, but a woman's to be cherished. If you will cherish her, you will have the best out of her. You will have the best love life, the best family life, the best wife, the best bride, the best companion, the best partner. You'll be living your best life. So she says, I'm going to start cherishing. She goes, you need to start a men's ministry. So week, year one, you know, I got all the men going, Pastor, how come you don't have anything for the men? I'm like, ah, because I've seen men's ministry and I don't want to do it that way. Back then they would get men into a room and then just beat them up. Mm. You know, do you like fights? Yeah, shame on you. Do you like boobs? Ah, uh-huh. shame on you. Well, you know, do you, are you competitive? Ah, uh-huh. shame on you. It's like, yeah. and I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to get men and make them feel worse. They, we already feel bad enough as it is. Why would I do that? So it took me three years, three years in. And then I, I went away to this thing where they had this kind of leadership thing with a drill sergeant. And uh, and we're in a line. There's all these, you know, CEOs and execs. And But the guy I'm standing next to is a pastor. 
I said, you're a pastor. I said, I'm a pastor. Because you're a pastor too. Where are you a pastor? I said, I'm a pastor in San Diego. He's a pastor in New York. I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, shake his hand and the drill sergeant walks up. And he goes, are you talking while I'm talking? I said, oh yeah, it's so funny. So you know, all these guys are execs and CEOs and this guy's a, you're still doing it. I'm like, yeah, well, he's a pastor. He goes, drop it, give me 20. And I'm like, you laughing, boy? 30. And I'm looking, and everyone, no one's, everyone's looking away. No one's making eye contact. And then he just comes right up. He goes, "Do you have a problem here, son?" And so I drop down and I start doing push-ups. And then he gets down next to me. He goes, "I want that chest to hit the floor. What are you, a girl? You do push-ups like a woman." Thirty. And so I'm doing, and I'm like, "The where, where the this guy's yelling at me." And so he he would just. You know, when I'm talking, there's only one person talking. You're listening. God gave you two ears. Use them. You shut your mouth. And we had to do all these things. And as we're doing them, all these exercises, we had to, you know, move bricks. And, and then he's timing it. He goes, you know, I've had women do better than that. I've had people who are disabled do better than that. You call that. And he was just ripping into us. But I loved the guy. We had to do all these crazy, crazy things. And... And that, that's and I came back on. I know what we're doing. We're doing we're doing drill sergeant. That's what we're doing. I don't know how, yeah. but and then I felt God say, men are, are buried in, and I saw men buried in mud. And when God first created Adam, He created him from the dirt of the ground, and so Adam came out of the dirt. You know, Adam emerged, and God says, and today the devil's buried men again. He's buried him, buried him in shame, in guilt, in hopelessness, in you know rejection, abandonment, inadequacy. They've sinned. You know, he's buried them. He says, "I want you to bring them out. I want you to. You're going to have a ministry where men are going to emerge, emerge. into their God identity and into victory and into power." And so that, so that now I knew what to marry it to. So I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but that's why it's. It's competitive. It's, it's teams of fifty. It's tug of war. It's battle. You go and do battle, and you you gonna you might get hurt. Yeah, you know, we've had I'm, broken legs and limbs every year, and you got hit in the face. Remember my broken nose? It's my first one. Your broken first nose. One. Last one I tore my tricep. Oh, that's right. You yeah. tore the tricep. I remember. By the way, I picked out the seats that we're sitting in. Uh, they were covered up, and then when I un- these were the best ones. They felt the best when yeah. they uncovered them. Look what yeah. look what it says behind me. Emerge? No way! Yeah. What? The seats say emerge. I picked the Gosh. chair before I saw. You what even it said. saw what it said. Yeah. Say it's prophetic. So I sat in five different chairs. I said, "Ooh, these are the, these are the ones," and it's on the chair. Incredible. All I right, mean, so you've been to emerge. I mean, what what what's it, your thoughts? It's, I can't. Uh, it's not something that I can explain mm. verbally. It's mm. it's impossible. Mm. It's a life altering. Mm. Uh, Isn't got, it? I got saved. Mm. I got baptized, and this last one, I was mm. baptizing people baptizing guys right you're amazing uh that like guys that just were fighting me tooth and nail to get there next thing you know i'm in a pool baptizing them yeah yeah there's just something about the like you say the holy explain this uh oh and and by the way yeah somebody uh i dropped somebody at my first person that i dropped at emerge come on you're a machine i couldn't believe it that's the holy gun flying was he just trying to make me feel good and he was out for like five minutes wow Unbelievable. So, Isn't that a beautiful feeling, though, when God uses you, when he's yes, spirit and he's Yes, because all he was flowing yeah. about his family. That's it. And That's his, right. Yeah. 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 
And so, all right, so, all right, so you got to land the plane here. I'm not going to tell you what time it is. You don't even want to know. I'm not even looking. Your assistant's going to be pissed at me. Good. But that's fine Um, because this is what I do. Um, All right, so give me, let's let's end by uh, what's different about, like you said, that power of the Holy Spirit. You keep saying the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Give me, explain the Holy Spirit and what's now going on in our, in our society and why is it so important that what we're doing here as a movement of God? Yeah. So the, 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 the greatest way to describe the Holy Spirit is, is the way Jesus described him. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to the father so that the promise of the father can be sent to you. Unless I go to the father, the helper whom the father will send can't come. So literally, it's like WWF, Jesus, yeah. tag, gets gets to heaven, tag, and the Holy Ghost enters the ring and starts smacking uh-huh. down on the devil. But the Holy Spirit is the helper. And so his, his job, what he does in your life, in my life, the Holy Spirit is he will help you to understand God the Father. He'll help you to understand the Scriptures. So he's... So he, he partners with you to, to help you have the God life, the, 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 ble- the best life and the most blessed life here. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So he convicts you. So, you know, I'll do something. And man, why, man, why do I feel? And it's just him saying, ah, you know, you don't, you don't want to go down this path. You don't want to go down this road. This is, not, this is not taking you toward blessing. This is taking you from blessing. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Right. But he doesn't just, he, he's not just like a silent counselor, even though one of the translations, you know, I'm going to send you a helper, it can be counselor. Uh, another translation, advocate, standby. The Greek word is the word parakletos, means one, one called alongside of. And so he can be your advocate, he can be your counselor, he can be your standby. But even more than that, the Holy Spirit, um, Jesus says, you shall receive power. You shall receive power power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So uh, so God is a powerful God. He creates the heavens and the earth, cosmos, the universe, the galaxy. Everything exists has his signature on it. That's how you know he created it. Jesus comes and when he gets baptized, the Holy Spirit rests on him and Jesus begins to do miracles, raising people from the dead, open the eyes of the blind, miracles because of the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't do one miracle before the Holy Spirit, does every miracle after the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says, that same power, the rest on me, is going to come upon you. So the miracles that I did, the works that I did, you can do, and even greater mm. works than these can you do when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So we, we want people to know that Christianity isn't just an adherence to a fine set of moral rules or laws. Like, it's, it's, it's so much more. It's when you give your life to Christ... You, you not only find out you know, what, what turns the universe on and off, what, what releases blessing and what blocks blessing, because God wants to bless you. Genesis 128, God blessed man. Adam hadn't done anything. God had just created him, verse 27. God created man, verse 28, and God blessed him. So God's will is for you to walk in blessing. Mm. If your life is not blessing, it's, it's sin, it's transgression. You're somewhere, somewhere you're violating one of his laws. And the Holy Spirit wants to help you, not to rub your face in it, but just to help you like, get it right. So I found that wrong living hurts, right living blesses. So um, the Holy Spirit then doesn't just come and line you up with God, but he gives you power. He gives you power, like supernatural power 
power to live this Christian life out so that you can be in a crisis or a situation or where you're ministering to somebody and you pray for them and the power of God hits them and they get laying out for five minutes and they're having an encounter with God that whole mm. time. God is doing something in them and he just used you. And so the, 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 the beauty of God using you to make a difference, God using you to, I, have, I, I can't shrivel up a tumor. What, what are you talking about? Like, how do I even do that? Right. I don't have access to medical equipment or technology, and yet I can't tell you how many people, just let me hold your hand. Let me just pray. Oh, I see the tumors right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, I curse those tumors. I command them to disintegrate, to disappear. And I get the x-rays. I've got x I can show you on my phone. X-rays of people with lung cancer, lungs full of cancer, lung capacity down to 11% over both lungs. On a, on a breathing ventilator to get enough oxygen so they can live, power of God hits them, disintegrates all the tumors in their lungs. So on her final checkup with the doctor, she goes for a jog before she goes to, and the doctors are like, "Hang on, where's your ventilator? Where's how come you're walking? What, what you were in a wheelchair last time? Oh yeah, I just went for a jog. What what do you mean you went for a jog? Yeah, I'm healed. What do you mean you're healed? You, you know, you, you you got radical chemo. You you may only have three months left to live. What are you talking about? Well, take x-rays. Oh my God, all the tumors are gone. We can't explain this. So we see that all the time. I can't do that. I don't have, the, I don't have any medical right. technology, but the Holy right. Ghost, power, shall receive power. Power to, you know, we, we prophesy over people. You're going to get a home. They're like, you don't know my bank account. You don't know. So God is a God of power. Jesus worked in power. When you read the Old Testament, you see miracles where the Holy Ghost is. New Testament, you see miracles. Life's too short not to have miracles. We have a saying in our church, JD, just to land the Come plane, that I don't believe in miracles. I depend on them. Mm. We don't believe in miracles. We depend on them. I mean, look, we you know we came here and everyone told me you can't get a building. You, you look, there's no zoning for for buildings for a church building in San Diego. There's no zoning for churches, um, and not only that, uh, not only is there no zoning, it's so expensive. So even if you could get the money, there's no zoning, and even if you found a building with zoning, you probably couldn't get the money to afford it. And so you know that was 2005. They told me that. Well, now it's 2018. Thirteen years later, uh, sorry, excuse me. It's now 2.23, so, you know, 18 years later, this this August, you know, we have 13 properties that we own and two more that we lease. So we have a total of 15 properties. 15. 15 properties. 13 we own, two, you know, two we lease, the office and Balboa. They're the, they're the two that we lease. Everything else we own. And, uh, and God just did it, you know, I mean, even San Marcos, when we opened San Marcos, yeah. We didn't have a congregation in San Marcos. It's our biggest campus. It's our it's biggest big, seating by capacity. By far, 74,000 square feet on the freeway. And it was meant to be a $16 million project and it blew out to $26 million. And, and all my friends are like, dude, what are you doing? Walk away. Just, you know, foreclose. Like, sh- shut up. What? It's it's 2020. Churches are shut down. It's lockdown, shut down. You don't even have a congregation. At least sell Bressy Ranch. No, I can't sell Bressy. God told me not to sell Bressy Ranch. Why would you not sell Bressy? At least recoup some of your losses and transfer the people to... No, God told me, keep Bressy. And that you're in... So I lost nearly all my friends. They all thought I was insane. And maybe looking from the outside, it looked like I was. But God was walking beside me. And he's like, do you trust me? I'm like, I trust you. 
the same God I landed with here in 2005 that's done all of this. I'm so, living so far above my pay grade. And that's what the power does. The power says that JD will live above his capacity, his ability, and his pay grade. You'll live a life where when you and I get to heaven, we'll be cheering God. God's going to hand us a crown. That's a crazy thing. The Bible says in heaven that the, the elders before the throne cast their crowns. Paul says there is a crown waiting for me. You're going to get a crown in heaven because you are his faithful servant. But when we stand there, the crown on our head, we're like, if it wasn't for you, it was you. It was you the whole time. It was your power. It was your hand. It was your goodness. It was your grace. It was your forgiveness. When I quit on you, never quit on me. When I was in my worst day, you were there with me and you picked me up and helped me to emerge. It was you, God. And we're going to cast our crowns. But God's going to put it right back on our heads. That's the beauty of God. And and Pastor Jurgen, uh, see, we could go all day. <laughs> I said something to Colin recently, Pastor Colin Higginbottom, and I was like, you know, I'm 52 years old. Why aren't I further than where I'm at? I've done pretty good. Rachel and I have done pretty good, right? We've mm-hmm. good life, mm-hmm. done some decent sales, revenue. Mm-hmm. But beating myself up, he goes, JD, mm-hmm. you've only you've only you've only been running with God for about mm-hmm. a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So you're in a, you're you're a you think you're 52 years in? Yeah. You're one and a half years in. Yeah. And that's when I realized yeah. coming to awaken that it's yeah. not me. Yeah. I'm literally just a yeah. vessel yeah. to yeah. let him do his thing yes. through yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what drives me yes. every day now. Yes. It's Come like, on. God, I, yeah. okay. Yeah. You got me, right? Yeah. Because yeah. to this day, we struggle all the time. Wow. You got me, right? Yeah. I got you. Yeah. So keep going. Yeah. The podcast. Yeah. Impacting lives in a, in a miraculous way with this podcast, the interviews. Yeah. yeah. Right, he's yeah. he's always got us. He, he's got you, and your greatest days. I mean, you're you're just a young pup, fifty two. <laughs> now, for real. So the, they they say the first forty years you work for money. The next forty years, the goal is to now have money work for you. Right. And 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 God says, I'm going to unlock the treasures, the treasures of the sea, the treasures of the earth, and the treasures of the heavens. Now. You know, Biden and, and the, the powers that be, they can tax what you pull out of the sea and they can tax what you pull out of the earth, but they can't tax what you draw down from heaven. So you, you're going to have, you know, those three areas. And so your, your greatest days of prosperity are in front of you. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't, that you live a problem-free life because all leadership is developed. The leadership mm-hmm. muscle is developed through problem-solving. Yes. But the difference is it's not up to J.D., to figure it out himself. The Holy Spirit is is there. He's your wingman and he gives wisdom. So you're like, God, I don't know, how do I how do I navigate my company right now through high interest rates and you know, liquidity is everything with banks yeah. and they're not loaning and people are f- afraid and, and fearful people, you know, retract and hold their money and people aren't, how do I end this? And the Holy Ghost will bam, it'll be an idea and you're like, oh my gosh. So uh, God has revealed himself to be a provider, a provider. So sometimes a source of provision, you know, contract or whatever may dry up. But you, as long as you're with God, you never lose your provider. God is your provider. And he provides opportunities. In fact, I know that you won the warlord mm. uh, of, uh, at, at the Pathfinders that's Apprenticeship because right. that's who you are. That's who you are. Like when I saw that, I wasn't surprised. But I'm telling you, that was a compliment in the in the natural and a compliment in the spirit, and you're a warlord because you 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 know how to take territory, and now you're hooked up with a God who is, has infinite wisdom and 
infinite understanding. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills is what the Bible says, but he also owns the hills where the cattle graze. And the Bible says that God gives the wicked the job of gathering, that he may give it to him who is good before God. So I'm telling you, your your faithfulness and what you're, what you're in right now, God is just getting you. Sometimes when the harvest isn't coming in, we've got to dig down. Mm. So grapes in a vineyard know when there's no moisture coming from the sky, they've got to dig down deeper. Because they dig down deeper, they're immovable in the storms. And what God's doing right now with, with Real Deal is he's just getting you to dig down deeper in the foundation so that when when the flood of blessing comes, it won't it won't wash you away. It won't take you out. You're going to be able to stay strong. But I, I, I just hear the Holy Spirit saying that you, there's going to be three distinct streams of income that God's bringing mm. your way. Come on. Three distinct streams. Let's go. Parting words for uh, men out there that need to, we, we need to call to arms to lead their family in yeah. faith. Yeah. Because what's happening, we're going to spiritual attack in our country. Yeah, it's so true. There's a, there's a, we're living in a in a in a, a time of war, believe it or not, and it's a it's a it's an insidious, it's a hidden one, it's an invisible one. Because the devil's a coward. He knows that if he reveals himself, then you know you're going to take him out. So he does it all behind the scenes. Mm. But I just want to say this. I just want to say that there is nothing greater than a great night's sleep. And a lot of people can see that having. Having a great night's sleep or a great night bed, well, you know, it's an option. You know, it's it's an optional extra. It's a no, it's not. We sleep on a real deal bed, and and right. I'm telling you, JD hasn't asked me to do this. I'm telling that I'm telling you, I'm just wanting to bless him. I sleep so well because I'm on a real deal. Because I sleep well, I'm sharp when I wake up. I can problem solve. I get more done in a day because I slept well. If you think that a good bed is kind of like a luxury item or an option, I'm telling you, it is the essential. If you're going to invest money on anything right now, don't invest on a new kitchen or a TV. Eating's good, but I'm telling you, there are a lot of kitchens, a lot of restaurants you can go to. A new TV, well, you know what, it might be higher definition, but if you wake up and your back sore, you tossed and turned all night, you didn't get a good night's sleep, that is going to plague you through the day. They even reckon that weight loss is connected to a good night's sleep. Energy, vitality, strength, health, everything flows from a great night's sleep. I want you to see these guys here at Real Deal. Upgrade your bed. You need upgrade your bed, upgrade your life, upgrade your world. I couldn't couldn't have said that any better. Pastor Juergen... I can't thank you enough for everything that you've done, for your boldness, for your courage. Uh, uh, Leanne is just the most amazing uh, woman. You guys are just such an inspiration to us. I look at you as a father figure. Um, I didn't have a father um, Mm. as a child at all. He was completely not present. He was an alcoholic. Um, wanted really kind of nothing to do with me. I can't um, believe it. He yeah. missed out. Yeah. What yeah, a treasure. What well, a gift. Look at who you are. Uh, and what a father you are. I watch you with your kids. Yeah. Well, I, I basically took what he did and, and went the complete opposite. Smart like literally man. the identical opposite. So yeah. again, I can't mm-hmm. thank you enough mm-hmm. for being mm-hmm. a father figure to mm-hmm. me and, and making me realize that I have a heavenly father mm-hmm. who will never give up on me, who loves mm-hmm. me and believes in me. Yeah. And that he's always with me every day. And I yeah. just have so much confidence knowing that I have... Um, him along with men like you and Dr. Mm. Matt and Colin um, in my life. Mm. Um, it gives me so much confidence that every day when I go through my struggles that I'm going to be okay and everything's yeah. going to work out. So yeah. 
Pastor Jurgen, it's been an honor. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming in. We could go all day. You're, you're going to be shocked when you hear the time. Please don't. Please, uh, you can put it on me. It's all good. You don't even. It's know my fault. It's me. Oh, it's okay. It's so, God. It's the Holy Ghost. It's, yeah, we yeah. we had to let him. What do we cut out? I mean, what what would you cut out in that Nothing. story? Nothing. Yeah. We're not cutting anything out. Yeah, this is, we're letting it flow. We don't. Come we don't. On. We don't edit. Come on, I love we, you. We let this flow, Come and it's, uh, I don't even want to tell you, we went over three hours. No way. We did, yeah. You're pulling my leg. I'm not kidding. That is crazy. Pastor Jurgen. Um, Time I, flies when you're having fun. Yeah, I can't thank you enough for everything that, who you are and, and what you've done and all the sacrifice. That's why I wanted that story to get out. Is, yeah. You know, all the sacrifices that you went through. Mm. I mean, this isn't even that long ago, yeah. 20 years ago, yeah. not yeah. even 16 years yeah. ago when you yeah. didn't have much money and you mm. were in a Marriott, right? Yeah. Yeah. In a Marriott in yeah. a parking lot. Yeah. And now how many locations? Yeah. Eight Fif locations. Eight and locations. Two more to come. And two more yeah. to come. Yeah. And there's a reason that it's building so quickly. And yeah. so because you're a, this is a church of power. This is a per church of life. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a church of miracles. Yeah. You know, there are miracles happening mm. every day and I see yeah. it in person. So. Yeah. Pastor Jurgen, I love you, man. I appreciate you. Love Thanks you. For coming I'm so on. proud of you. Thank you so much. Real deal talk. That's a wrap, baby. Uh, let's go.